This week on Two Bears, One Cave. He told America I was the most racist comic in America. <laughs> he did that. This sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> Bert, you are full of terrible ideas. No, 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 no. Ideas. Are you still watching Cosby show? Cosby did terrible things. He got in a lot of trouble. They canceled the show, right? hundred <laughs> percent. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, more like, wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. We use Mint Mobile at the office, and we have been saving so much money since switching over, and setting up on Mint Mobile's website was super easy. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com bears. That's mintmobile.com slash bears. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash bears. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three months plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Welcome to the program. <laughs> hey guys, As brand always, new episode of Two Bears, One Cave. Hey Andrew, is liver drainage a real thing? <laughs> My co-host. No, is, is liver Bert drainage. Kreischer. Do people get their feet removed? Corey, you know nothing of what how this podcast works. Yeah. This is my co-host, Tom <laughs> yeah. Segura. Yeah. Hello. It's called Two Bears, One Cave. Yes. And uh This is renowned professor and podcaster, Dr. Andrew Huberman, Stanford uh uh ophthalmology. Neurobiology. Neurobiology. <laughs> and you have a but you also I have an appointment in neurobiology, ophthalmology, and by okay. courtesy in psychiatry. Yeah, I mean most people do. Ooh, ophthalmology, so, huh? Try these on just, and tell me what's going on with me. <laughs> is that what ophthalmology is? Uh, yeah, so. optometry is more about the you know fitting lenses and things of that sort. Um, a, ophthalmology is medical issues of the eye and the, oh. and the portion of the brain that's related to vision. Wow. See, listen, I told you. I told you. What did I tell you? We're surrounded by yeah, greatness. The greatness. And you got to talk yeah. a little bit I, more. And so this is next to me is Corey Henry. You've heard me talk about him. Yes. I was moved to tears. I think I cried on the podcast talking about you it. Did. You, you did. You have not heard that. He has no that idea. That hasn't come out yet. Has, oh, has Well, it? by the time, like now, yeah. I'm saying. Uh, I saw him out. at the Blue Note, uh, which is a, a jazz festival in Napa that my wife and I, you got invited to, too. Yeah, yeah. I went because of Nas. Yeah. Or as your wife says, Naz. Naz. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and Corey, two people, three people really, Corey and da- Damian. Uh, J.D. Domi Beck. And they, they moved me beyond beyond feeling. And and, and I'll t- I wonder what, I'd love to hear your instincts. So Corey is a renowned jazz musician. I will say it because he won't. And this was everyone, when I came back and was like, dude, Corey Henry, they're like, oh, you like good shit. Yeah. I go, what? And they go, he's Stevie Wonder's favorite artist. I went, Oh, so I got the fucking, I got the vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, uh, jazz. So I love jazz. What does that do to the brain? And is there a different thing that happens in the brain when jazz music is being played? Great question, because I've spent the last three weeks working on an episode for my podcast about music and the brain. So a couple of things uh, just related to music more generally, which is that the emerging theory is that music including singing and dance, probably emerged in the human brain before spoken language, which in many ways makes sense, right? Think about this. 
using music without lyrics, you couldn't describe a can of soda, a car, or an apple, or a person in a way that I could understand it and everyone could understand it. But with music, you can describe and create an emotion in somebody else. That means that it's actually a more sophisticated language in many ways than spoken language. Mm. So we think of spoken language as so sophisticated. I can say, okay, you know, Tom's sitting over here. He's my cousin. By the way, he is my cousin. This is on Wikipedia. He's wearing <laughs> Adidas shoes like me, which may have a genetic link, may have be a you know, nature or nurture thing. We don't quite know. We don't question it. Wow. He looks like this. He, um, he speaks like this. I can explain a lot of things about him and they're all true, but I can't create an emotion in you about Tom with spoken language, unless I tell you about something he did, maybe that'll evoke some sort sense of delight or disgust or whatever it is, depending on the story. But with music, you can play one tone or one series of tones. I'm not a musician. I'll reveal that by how I describe music. Um, but a motif, you know, people can hear like just one note played on a clean background on a trumpet or a saxophone and feel something. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, what we now understand based on brain imaging, based on a lot of um, genetics and, and other tools is that there are dedicated circuits in the brain and body that music taps into and can create the sense of emotion. And one of the more interesting ones I think is that, you know, we have a, a our breathing apparatus as a muscle called the diaphragm moves our lungs, et cetera. But a lot of music will actually tap into the neural connections of the diaphragm and lungs and our body will flutter at the same frequency as a note that's being played. So this is crazy. That means that your body is being used as a sort of instrument from the inside while you're listening to instruments and sometimes vocals from the outside. And so your body is literally resonating with the similar frequencies as the music that you're listening to. You, you are one of the instruments when you're listening. So when you go to see, and when you listen in a room, it's very different than when you listen with headphones, which is very different than when you listen with very high quality headphones. But there is nothing, nothing like live music because when you are present to the live music, your body is part of the instrumental of that music. Okay, so there's an internal, like it's geysering up out of you while it's coming in through your senses. That's so remarkable. It's That's insane. Like, so I showed, told That's you how insane. good he is. I think you're going to have to sing now. <laughs> as long as you don't make me sing. <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy that you say that because it is, it, music is actually the, the truly the only universal language. You know, like people speak and, and in, in many ways you go, well, English is like the world's kind of language. Now you have to, you know, if you want to be a part of everything, you speak English, but you can perform music here, Japan, Spain yeah. and elicit yeah. emotion from people who go, you could be singing in English and the, the music and, and singing evokes the same thing from everybody who doesn't even understand. Like I've, I've listened to songs in Portuguese and I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm getting emotional and like, you know, really in, I'm like, I love this song. I don't even know what the song's about. Yeah. Right? But you can also communicate intent with music yeah. across cultures. So you know, like um, war music, drums, doom, doom, oh, right. doom, mm -hmm. doom. You know that whole that whole thing. Or right? love songs, uh, or right? love songs, or you know the lightness. Like, so mm -hmm. you can communicate emotion through mm -hmm. these collections of sounds that are universal. And so we know that there are circuits in the brain that are separate for this, that are dedicated to this, because people who are aphasic, who can't speak, oftentimes can still sing, mm -hmm. or they can 
create or follow a melody. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for a lot of people talk nowadays and are concerned about understandably things like dementia, um, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's dementia, just age-related dementia. And people who listen to anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes of music per day on average, their cognition gets better. And that's because it's tapping into a whole set of neurochemical programs and things that, you know, brings the person alive mm-hmm. and from the inside. I mean, this is what I find so interesting about music is, yes, it's coming in through the years. Just like when you look at a beautiful painting, you you know, pick your favorite artist. You see that and you go, whoa, and you feel something inside. But you're not actually recreating the painting in your body. Mm-hmm. You're recreating into your brain to some extent. But with music, the vibrations of the music are having a deep resonant resonant, excuse me, impact on your body. Mm. And there's some, and there's a lot of facial expressions that go with it. I Mm. actually put out the call for questions on uh, social media the other day. I'm doing an episode on music in the brain. You know, what do you want to know? And my favorite question of all was what explains bass face? (laughs) Like like everyone makes the same face, right? Like, you know, and you know, I don't know if dogs and other animals are doing it too, but there's something fundamental there. in terms of how we're all wired. And of course, lyrics can, can do a lot. I love poetry. I love lyrics. You know, there's certain musicians like Joe Strummer, Bob Dylan, for me, like the lyrics don't even make sense, Mm. but they feel like they're saying something that fundamental, even Mm -hmm. though if you just were to read the lyrics, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't mean anything. You know what happens to me? I talk, I talked about this and I felt so validated that other people were like, Oh, me too. And and musicians also were jumped. I revealed that I go my whole life when I listen to music, I have to make a real effort to hear the lyrics, like to actually, like I hear somebody singing as an instrument. So it's mm-hmm. like, like when you're singing, I go like, uh, and then someone's like, you know what this song's about? And I'm like, no, yeah. I, I have to really pay attention because the, the voice singing to me, to my ear registers as like, almost like the strings or the drum. Uh, and then uh, English is in his first language. Also. That's, that's very true. We're but, all tuned to these fundamental sounds that it starts to cross over with language. Like if you hear somebody shrill in pain, yeah. we all know that feeling. <clears throat> yeah. Or like an animal or a, a child, especially like, you know, in, in desperate pain, you know, it just pulls on you. Mm. It's, it's not a choice. I mean, if you don't feel that you might be a sociopath. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> You are a sociopath. Um, if you don't feel somebody else's, but like a child's pain when they're in pain, like there's something wrong with you. Or an animal, right? But then there's also these like deep guttural sounds, right? So the, the more primitive the sounds, the more we relate to them. And music um, is tapping into all of that. And, mu- you know, I, I know zero minus one about how to play music, but I love listening to music. I'm the opposite. Even though we're related, I'm the opposite. Yeah, this yeah. is nature nurture. I I like lyrics. Yeah. I, I love mm. the poetry of it. I, oh. I memorize lyrics. I hear them in my head. I actually prepare for podcasts by singing songs in my head. Mm. It gets me into a rhythm. But music in terms of chords, harmonics, melodies, all that, I mean, yeah, I, feel like I, I don't understand it at all. But it. Like, like I, I have to make a very, very strong effort to go, oh, this is, this is what this person is saying. Otherwise, it just feels melodic to me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. How early yeah. did you start totally. playing music? I started playing when I was two years old. Two. Yeah, my mama uh, taught me how to play. She was the lead choir director and musician at the church we grew up in Brooklyn. Grew up in Brooklyn. Grew up in Brooklyn. Like back when Brooklyn was Brooklyn? Or when they saw Brooklyn, nah, Brooklyn was Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Brooklyn. Shoes. <laughs> nah, are, nah, nah, they just started doing that. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, studies now that show very conclusively that kids that start playing an instrument prior to six, mm-hmm. singing and playing instruments, especially with other people, mm-hmm. 
their brain connectivity is much more extensive. Mm. They're, they're, they're smarter. Mm. They really are. They, they really are. And their brain maintains that increased con- connectivity well into adulthood. And, yeah. um, and it's something that can be reactivated. Um, you know, for, for people like me who completely failed at learning how to play any instrument whatsoever, it's not completely hopeless, but it, you know, no, it, it would be a lot of work. But, but the fact that it's an hour a day, man, an hour a day. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you're, that's how I talk about exercise and all the other yeah. stuff. So I need to internalize so that. Funny, I was going to smoke a joint for an hour. I mean, <laughs> does everyone go by light a joint? No, totally. Is you, can you not be around it? Yeah, I don't partake, but it's legal in California. I know, so but yeah. I don't know if you No, can. feel free. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, that's are you okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, um, can I ask a uh, weird question? Are you going to okay? Okay. Can I ask a, an interesting question to both of you guys? Uh, it's a two parter. Well, it's a two parter. I'm going to ask the second part in a second. When you play jazz, it is more of your brain is telling your fingers what to do in. in uh, spontane- spontaneously like as I watch you play you are you are dictating the rhythm of the evening it's all improvised not all of it but it's primarily like watching you play it's just so inspired and improvised number one how how do you connect your fingers to your brain that way and do, do you see the the piano other than just white little th- white and black things and do you see that or do you feel it and then secondly I want to know how do I how do I tap into that? How do people tap into that? Because as I watch him, I'm so inspired by just you fucking around. It, it, like, it, you playing with Amazing Grace last night mm. and taking us on a ride. You take us on a ride. Mm. And that improvisation is what I'm I'm obsessed with. But I'm curious to know how your brain works when you play music. Yeah, when I'm playing at this point, I, f- I feel like it's... I think it's all a feeling, you know? Like, I, I spent a lot of time at my instrument to be able to play what I want to play as a musician. And then it's a matter of like taking what I've learned or what I've like practiced and making it a voice. I look at the piano as a voice. Like I don't see them as like keys or whatever. I'm trying to like talk, you know, like I'm trying to have a little conversation and take you on a ride. And um, and I noticed recently over the last few years that I'm, I'm really tapped in when my eyes is closed. It's, I saw that. I it's all about like when I'm not looking at the keys or if I'm look like if my attention here in my head is elsewhere where my hands are just like, Oh, it's time to fly. And I feel like I'm flying at that point where it comes down to like, you know, in the improv sections of my show, uh, especially like amazing grace. Cause I play it all the time and I like to change it up and do different things. But I feel like I'm trying to remain at a, some kind of free state where I'm not thinking about the keys or the notes or the chord changes. Free state is the art. Yeah. How, do, okay. How, what's the easiest way for people to access that free state? Goodness. Okay. Well, first of all, the improvisation piece is really important uh, because, you know, your brain is, it does a lot of things. Your brain controls your heart rate, makes sure your muscles can move. It does all that stuff. But beyond all of that stuff, maintaining body temperature, et cetera, your brain is mostly a prediction machine, right? Like early in life, you learn that objects fall down, not up. And that's kind of fundamental rule. You learn who your parents are. They caretake you know, by voice, by smell, by sight, etc. And as we go through life, you know, sure, like, for instance, it's the first time I've been here at your studio today. There are a bunch of novel objects, new people that I'm meeting, etc. But nothing is so outside of my expectation, especially given that it's you, Bert, and you, Tom. <laughs> so outside my expectation, we won't talk about that thing that happened on the stairwell, that... I'm not in a mode of like, whoa, like this is unexpected. But 
The brain has a particular neurochemical called dopamine. We've all heard of it as dopamine hits. Everyone thinks dopamine is associated with pleasure, but dopamine is really about motivation and anticipation. And so if we're listening to say Amazing Grace, a song that I recognize, and I'm expecting it to be played a certain way, sung a certain way, and then all of a sudden you hold one note much longer. I'm just making this up. I haven't mm -hmm. heard you play yet, although I'm excited to go see you play. I am gonna go see you play, by the way. Okay. <laughs> and you hold that note longer, then all of a sudden that dopamine, we have many dopamine circuits in the brain, but that circuit flips on and starts releasing this neurochemical, which heightens my attention. Like what is happening now? Yeah. What's gonna happen next? Is your beer fridge feeling a little empty? DoorDash is your door to beer without the run. Whatever drink you're in the mood for, they've got you. Order your alcohol with DoorDash today and drink in the savings. Use code BEARS24 to get 25% off, up to $15 value on a $35 minimum subtotal on your next alcohol order for eligible users only. I mean, there's like sometimes you just don't want to leave. That's me. Once we're at a spot and we're hanging out, I just don't want to leave. And now you don't have to. The alcohol selection on DoorDash is top shelf. Beer, wine, mixers, mocktails, and more can be delivered straight to your door. Save up to 25%, up to $15 value when you spend $35 or more with code BEARS24. So whether you're grabbing drinks for an event or staying in for the night, DoorDash is here to help you have a great evening any evening. Terms apply, must be 21 or older to order alcohol, drink responsibly, delivery and promotions available only in select markets. The thing about dopamine is you adjust to it pretty quickly. This explains a lot of addictions as well. So then if you if you do that every third note, well then, yeah, you might be familiar with as, that. As I put the joint in my mouth, he goes, this is playing a lot of dopamine. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about cannabis if you want. It <laughs> interesting about uses, okay. both interesting health uses and addictive potential. Okay. I just pissed off all the pot smokers. I, I want to know about it to us. But the dopamine, but the, the dopamine it's all about the, the, le the levels now relative to where they were a few seconds ago or a few minutes ago. So pretty soon that novelty, like, oh, he's gonna hold this note. Okay, okay, he's gonna hold this note. And then you stop it and you go back into this, the regular singing of Amazing Grace. For instance, I'm just, again, making this up. Mm -hmm. So the music system, the system in the brain that responds to music and to speech, it has certain expectations. You have, your brain is already trying to guess what I'm gonna say next. And so if I suddenly start speaking, you know, in Shakespearean prose, you'd be like, whoa, 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 what is that? Now, the, the important thing about music is that in order to make it sound right, it has to obey certain rules. Okay. Mm -hmm. It can't just be a cacophony of crazy sounds. That's really interesting. It has to obey certain yeah. rules. You're right. Because mm -hmm. if it doesn't, all of a sudden you're like, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. But your brain, and, but and you automatically know. Yeah, how the fuck do our brains all know? Brains, okay. know. Your brain knows. Just like comedy. Right, just like comedy. Oh, it's just right? like, like comedy. Like in comedy, <laughs> like I'll, I've seen, I go see comedy, and then I punch my wife in the face. And I was like, Ugh, what the right. fuck? <laughs> right, don't do that. The, uh, you know, like for instance, Not I saw cool, Tom, bro. I saw Tom do comedy at the Belly Up in Aspen recently. Is he killed? It was amazing, and I can start talking about different bits he did. That's what they're called, right? right. And, okay, <laughs> um, and um, but you know, I've seen certain versions of comedy by Tom and others where. They're telling a story and you're like, okay, here's a story. And then you're like, oh no, this isn't going to go that way, is it? And then I have to imagine that there are two possibilities. I'm thinking, okay, either he's going to confirm my suspicion that this is going to end really badly, or there's going to be some flip at the end where all of a sudden it's something completely different yes. and that's the pop, yeah. right? Same thing with music. 
same and the same thing dopamine music. thing is happening Absolutely. if you're watching, right? The, you know, this is whether or not you're talking about Bitcoin, the euro, the American dollar, the Canadian dollar, whatever, the peso. There's only one universal currency of value in the brain. We place value on what we're experiencing, value on uh, monetary units. It's all dopamine. Now, there are other neurochemicals in the brain that are important, but it's a neurochemical system for saying, oh, what was happening before is cool, but what's happening now is way cooler because it's different. Oh, wait, mm -hmm. no, it's too different. It doesn't really obey the rules. And you're not thinking about this consciously. This is what's amazing. So much of this is happening subconsciously. And music, played correctly, sung correctly, taps into your subconscious about that just feels right. Because it is right. It's obeying certain mathematical rules, certain mm. physical laws of the universe that are correct. And I can promise you this because if I were to sing Happy Birthday and then inject the Sesame Street theme song and then try and sing Amazing Grace in there, you guys would just say, well, in addition to having a terrible voice, Andrew, that just sucked. It wasn't interesting. It's not interesting the same way that a painter... Like some kid can go see a, a Jean-Michel Basquiat painting or something and go, oh, that's a, or like a Jackson Pollock and go, oh, that's just a bunch of paint thrown on a thing. I'm just going to throw paint on a canvas. And that kid isn't up in the MoMA, right? Mm -hmm. The person who can tap into something fundamental about the way the brain works. In other words, you're a neuroscientist, you're a neuroscientist, you're a neuroscientist. And you don't even realize what you're doing is you're tapping into something fundamental about how the brain works and delivers reward. The thing that you're pointing I'm realizing about the dopamine thing and the unexpected is that that's for sure why people are like awed in comedy shows by crowd work. Because what happens is crowd work oh, yeah. is like, what's up, man? And somebody says, and you see that it mesmerizes people and they get into this place of glee because it's happening in the moment. It's all unexpected okay. things. And you can see that it like, it shifts the energy of a room right. when somebody does like, in the moment crowd work yep. it's yeah. all unexpected it's all right. like these and yeah. it changes the dynamic of what's happening it's like if i were you know picasso were here and and we're literally throwing different um colors of paint at him and he's putting it up into something beautiful that's why you know every once in a while you'll see a post or a video and i don't want to disparage anyone's art form but you'll see these people are like they're painting something it doesn't look like anything doesn't look like and then they flip it over and it's a face yeah like that's not oh, yeah that's not the lowest form of art but it's getting down there because what is it it's basically just playing with one single rule about visual perception which yeah. things drawn upside down you can't comprehend them you flip them upside down and you go oh okay. it pops but <laughs> but that's sort of a gimmick right mm. it's a gimmick that's not new art that's not new art that's just old art done upside down okay so that mm. rule is kind of like okay cool sort of like if i do a pun and i won't even try and do that or i do a knock knock joke it's like okay like it's kind of funny a little bit funny but not really because yeah. the real beauty of comedy is when it took my brain because I'm in the audience when it comes to comedy always I'm not funny and you're converting the like a, a rule about how I thought the world was going to go like you're talking about a serial killer like oh my god like that's really dark I don't like serial killers I won't even watch the Dahmer thing I'll pay money not to watch the Dahmer thing and then at the end because you're you or you you you'll probably say something like I don't know that I don't mean, like something super offensive. And then all of a sudden everyone just laughs because yeah. the, it's like, it's the brain goes, Oh my God, I can't even comprehend. I would never would have gone well, it's there. It's such a release. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a release. That's right. It's a release of tension. Yeah. You're also, yeah. so just like with music, yeah. bringing it up through the body, yeah. you've got people, you know, quote unquote on the edge of their seats. Yeah. You've got people in tension and then relaxed. Yeah. You know, it's a form of, of, um, of uh, spoken intercourse. Yeah. And there's this like thing about comedy shows where there really is, there's an unspoken agreement when you enter the room, audience and performer goes like, there's no point in me 
going up on stage to be like, I'm going to say things all the right way that are the correct thing to say in all scenarios. Cause that's like, there's no real, it's like, yeah, that's polite society. That's what you get outside of the room, right? Yeah. In the room, the thrill, the joy, I think for the performer and the audience is that you're going to say the thing that they're like, we sh this should not be spoken. I know? get scared sometimes yeah. when I see you guys do comedy, <laughs> I get scared. I'm like, Oh no. Like you're going to say something. And like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it seems, it feels scary. Right. You know, I go to the amusement park. I like roller coasters. You look at a roller coaster, you know that, you know, unless you're shorter than the thing, like you're not going to fly out and die most yeah. likely. Right. So you're like, it's scary, but you, there's trust. I hate most right? likely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, it does happen every once in a while. Yeah. Usually when they, you know, someone didn't pull the thing down or carnivals. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Uh, pick your amusement park carefully. Fuck those. But dude. when I go see comedy, I, you know, I'm afraid. I'm also afraid of the person up there um, bombing. Yeah, so, whenever yeah. I go to New York, my sister and I go to New York mm -hmm. every year for our birthdays in September, and uh, I love going to the Comedy Cellar. Uh, and we've gone every year, mm -hmm. and I've seen some amazing <laughs> yeah. sets. Just like, whoa, that was amazing. And then I've seen some just dreadful ones. And you, you as the audience, want to crawl under it's the horrible. table. Yeah, yeah, and that that reflects that you know we're a, our nervous systems are always interacting. And some people delight us just their face, right? Like when Tom does his impression of his kids, yeah. especially I don't want to play favorites here, especially his, of his youngest son. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I've thought about that just driving along these last couple of days and just, I start cracking up inside. It's, yeah. it's delightful because he sees something in his kids. They see something in him. And so you're, you're tapping. It's like an intimacy. It's a parent child relationship. That's, you know, hilarious. And yet I've never actually, I've never met his kids. I don't know their names, like, you know, or any of that. I mean, we're, we're cousins, but we're, we're warming up to the family reunion. Yeah. The, is, I love, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the concept that is there are unspoken rules. Mm. Yeah. Like, and if you break the rules, cause I always think of comedy as like, I'm trying to break the rules, but I'm not really. Cause you break, if you break the rules, you say the thing that shuts it down. Michael mm. Richards broke the rules. Yeah. That mm. was like the perfect example of rule breaking. Mm. Like there yeah. was, there could have been rules in place. That he did something crazy, but he didn't break. But the he rule. stepped out of he stepped out of performance and went into like I think he was personal rage. I thought he was but, trying to. You know, who's Michael Richards? Don't worry about it. Okay, Kramer, it was a bad fucking example. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Kramer on Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. yeah you haven't. Mm. Wait, wait. I, I, listen, when I was in undergrad, <laughs> wait, grad wait, school, hold on. let's talk <laughs> the fact you've had your nose in books so deep you didn't know what happened with. I Kramer. didn't have social media till a few years ago. I'm pretty niche Wait, on my own. Wait, do you know what happened with Kramer? Yeah, yeah, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It was bad. Wait, let's play bad. a game. Yeah. What doesn't Andy Huberman know? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot Are I Are you still watching Cosby Show? No. Okay, no. all right. We got that one. He's no. had a wild couple of years. No, I know Cosby, Cosby, Cosby did... Terrible things. He got in a lot of trouble. They canceled the show, right? The show. They didn't cancel the show. What the Cosby no, show? They must have ended the no, show. No, 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 still playing. Thirty years. The show's been off for years. All right, clearly I'm the joke. I, no, no, I, I, no, I, I never watched much show. I watched the uh, Wonder Years. I like that show. I like that show. I own the DVDs. So, okay. Yeah. Man, this is this is such a good thing. <laughs> I watched Ozark. Yeah, okay. Ozark. I watched The Wire. Ozark. I watched Mad Men. Okay. Yeah. Ozark, when Laura Linney gets fucked from behind on that like first episode, yeah. it was so real. It was <laughs> so real. There's like That's what you took from Ozark? Dude, that's when I was like, let's play high, pay high-end actresses to do porn yeah. because 
they tap into how they really fuck. Like a porn star. You ever fucked a porn star? No. <laughs> really? Yeah. You should. Okay. Hey, so, are, you, are you married? No. Oh, come on. There's, a lot of, there's still so many possibilities. Yeah. There's yeah. still we got a lot. Well, yeah. I'll, give you my, I'll give you my Christmas list. So you so get a bunch of porn girls to come see you play Amazing Grace and then have at it afterwards. <laughs> I'd be done, um, Wait, hold, hold, This sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. Wait, hold on. Bert, you are full of terrible no, 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 no. ideas. Laura oh, no, no, no. He's Laura definitely Linney, getting it. Laura Linney, when she has sex in Ozark, she <laughs> yes. does it like a real woman. Right, like, it's like not a like, real woman, not like porn stars. Like, uh, fuck my pussy, fuck my pussy, uh-huh. do it raw. And you're like, no one talks like that. No one, yeah. like, do it like a real woman, like out my shoulder or whatever. <laughs> like, we're and Laura Linney when she has sex from behind, it was she did it like a like she was. Actually I know what you're saying. So, so yeah. you watch all of Ozark, and that's what my you did. Exactly. 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 I mean, takeaway. Is that, that was Laura, a season what you lifted from the series. Yeah, season one. It's the first it's episode. so good. Yeah. The series yeah. is amazing. Oh, it's amazing. I made it to like season three. This, Ozark oh, yeah? shot yeah, in great. this kind of blue, yeah. blue black tone yeah. that it's, it's eerie, right? Mm-hmm. It's really eerie mm-hmm. uh, all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you notice even when it's just normal dialogue, like someone's walking up to a hotel room and talk to someone and you're like, something bad's going to happen. All the, the, it's constantly eerie. The cast eerie. is incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's crazy that uh, mm-hmm. Bateman directs like the majority of the episodes. Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. So he's in it. And he directed a, 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 at least half of those episodes. He's yeah. got a crazy diet. Jason Bateman? Yeah, I saw that really? doc on him. He's got a podcast called Smartless. Yeah. And they did a doc, and he just, he like. Well, this is a good segue. What? Because Oh, Corey, I used to be fat. <laughs> Actually, you met me when I was fat. It was, but he went on the Jason Bateman I, diet. I believe, Corey, this would have been about a month ago. About a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was fat. Oh, thank you. That's how most people are post that. Okay. So just to bring everybody up to speed, about a month ago, Bert had a, a come to Jesus moment uh, mm. where he was like, I need to it was, get healthier. It was mm. at the jazz festival. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I was drinking. I mean, we just wake up, start drinking all mm-hmm. day. And then and you were touring a bunch. I, was, you I just got off tour. The festival. I was partying a lot. And drinking then, a lot, eating like a lunatic. You know, it's bad when you see... You, Andrew does not like alcohol. He's not a fan of alcohol. I mean, uh, it's but, not that I am not a fan. I think I see a lot of health issues, okay, psychological okay, issues with alcohol. But, no, so. no, but Andrew, <laughs> so, Andrew knows all the science. He knows it. all the science. So I would, you would, I would see you. his stuff, it's, and I'd go like, the fuck does he know? And then I'd like swipe through it. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I was bloated as fuck. My face looked, my face was huge. Everything, my ankles were swelling. Like, like and everybody I, was noticing. And everyone was noticing. And I was like, "All right, this is it." So mm-hmm. I went. I did a. I did a cleanse first, like a prolon. It's a mimicked fast, a cell rejuvenation thing. I did that. Uh, went to the cardiologist, and and I was like, I just don't know what to do with my diet. My cardiologist was like, "Fucking keto," and I was like, "Really?" He goes, Your cardiologist said that. My cardiologist. Interesting. Goes, there is so many benefits to. To being in ketosis, he goes. They're they're proving that it, right now it, it is uh, stopping the growth of brain tumor cells. That it doesn't feed cancer cells. The sugar is what cancer grows off of. And he goes. Most importantly, it's great for inflammation, which you have a lot of, and it's great for your liver. He goes. It gives your liver a break to process fat instead of sugar. And he goes, go keto. And then he gave me another guy's number, and he was like, get exogenous ketones. Uh, stay in ketosis for as long as you can. I think also without that, with when you're in ketosis, you're not drinking. You can't drink. You can if you're going to break it, but I don't want to break it. So I've been in ketosis for a month, and I've been not drinking for a month. Like since the jazz festival, whatever. How, how do you feel? And, and we should um, 
be scientists about this. You, you did two things. So it's hard to know which one is leading to the positive effects, right? You yes. stop drinking alcohol. So that's yes. one variable. And then the other is that you are now on ketogenic diet, which yes. is another variable. So you could be feeling better because of both of those things. You probably are, but I'm just curious how you feel in terms of, let's just break it down into like, how's your sleep? Uh, pretty amazing. Great. Like, uh, and compared to what it was. Oh, uh, well, yeah, my, my sleep was always like, I never woke up like, like, okay. I would wake up like, Fuck. do you know what you told me like six months ago? I was like, how do you feel since X, Y, and Z? And you go, I never notice anything because, oh, I, because I'm drinking and party you're like i don't know whether today or i couldn't tell you what hungover feels like like. versus not hungover Mm -hmm. like i just knew a homeostasis of like waking up and and what's interesting is i i would wake up in a panic with like a fire under my ass going all right we got to work out we got to do this we got to do that we got now i wake up and i'm like i'm like oh that was cool i was i was raising anxiety a lot of people who drink feel less anxiety while they drink but then they drink feel much more anxiety outside of drinking. Searing. You know. Searing. Yeah. Were they certain yeah. do you ever think about death? Every yeah. fucking morning when I drank, I my first fucking thought. First thought, one day it goes dark. One day it goes Existential dark. Existential dread. Oh my God. Yeah. Can, can I ask you, oh, well, I want to go through the different things of sleep and the other other aspects of, of health and well being, but uh, how old were you when you took your first drink? Oh fucking fourteen. And then did you start drinking relatively no. heavily in, no. at that time? No. In, 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 22. In college? Or it, after, it, right. I would say in college, drank reg, like a regular yeah. college kid. Maybe yeah, I went to more. UC Santa Barbara, yeah. which discovers alcoholics. Yeah. Right? It's always yeah. been a big party school. Alcoholic's a weird fucking word. Uh, now it, they, it's, it's <clears throat> overused. It's like saying. True. They should now say alcohol use disorder is another one. Listen, it's different things for different people. Some people, it's one or two at the end of the day, and they, quote unquote, need that drink. Other people... They have just one drink or even half a drink, but it dramatically changes their personality. Yeah, those are other the bad people. Ones. They drink to blackout drunk. Yep. Other people, they're like the Don Draper character in Mad Men. They can drink, 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 and the next morning, there they are, looking, you know, sh- you know, all right angles and working, and you're like, whoa, you know, I, um, like how they do that. Yeah. A mm-hmm. um, lot of genetic variation in terms of how quickly people metabolize alcohol, how thoroughly they metabolize alcohol. I'm not gonna do the whole podcast episode on alcohol because I did that for my podcast. But do you it, drink? Do you drink? It mm-hmm. is poison, mm-hmm. right? Is Let's poison. just be honest. It makes you feel the way it does because it is poison. Yeah. If you see articles that say one or two glasses of wine per day, resveratrol, da da da, you know, you know, health benefits. Here's the deal: zero alcohol is better for you than any alcohol, but the cutoff, if you're not an alcoholic or somebody prone to alcohol use disorder, et cetera, and you're of age, probably two drinks per week should be Ooh. the up, upper ceiling. Beyond which, <laughs> that a guy with well, no there arms? are a lot of data now out of the UK Brain Bank that's showing that you know the more you drink, for every dr- additional drink you have per week, a little bit more brain atrophy, shrinking in the brain and loss of nerves. Uh, my, brain, mm-hmm. my brain is firing hot. Yeah, you know, I, you know. Notice, I notice. I notice my you, flow of speaking is going on stage. My brain is working so much better. This is so good. Uh, this is so good. You're mm. such a vigorous guy. Like you're, you have so much vigor. You're, you know, the word that comes to mind when I think of you, Kreischer, is uh, not alcohol. It is robust. There's like this robustness to you, right? Mm. And I always knew because we've been in touch about this for a little while now. Yeah. And Tom and I talk, and like we talk behind your back and all that. Uh, everyone you know, talks behind my know, back. <laughs> that uh, it means they love you, Corey. Lovingly, that's what I mean. Lovingly, <laughs> lo- lovingly, lovingly, which is that the prediction 
was always that if you cut out alcohol and you're, and you're exercising and you're eating right, that you are going to feel so much better. Mm. Not that you're going to feel worse and you're going to miss it. So mm. I'm, I'm here. I have a hidden agenda, which is I, my hope is that I saw you post on social media. You're not going to have another drink until you hit 230, yeah. 230 pounds. I think you should cut it out for good and watch your creative work and everything else skyrocket. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a bunch of fans that are like, oh, my God, does that mean I can't drink while listening to Chrysler? No, we're not talking about them. I'm talking about you. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not here as a, as a, you know, addiction counselor. I'm not, I'm, I don't tell people what to do, yeah. right? I'm, I'm not a physician. I don't prescribe anything. I'm a professor. I profess a lot of things, but I profess that if you were to stay off alcohol completely, not only are you going to live a lot longer, but that that robustness yeah. is going to be exponentially greater. It'd also be fun to just do comedy and live life through that lens. There's so much more to discover. And no, I'm not yeah. telling you, you have to quit sweet smoking weed no i know i will i you know i don't think i mean i because weed's a whole other story Mm. some people can do it safely and be fine with it and be very functional other people can't Mm. it's a very binary distinction there Mm. um there are a lot of young males who smoke very high potency thc and it craters their life can even lead to increased incidents incidents of psychosis later however there are a lot of people who can smoke weed and they're perfectly fine. Is this like a, yeah. something that developed too in more recent times? Because you always hear that the THC levels of today are so much more like people in the 70s who like, yeah, I smoked weed in high school. Mm. You give them a joint now and they're like, what oh. the fuck? They yeah. think they're on meth. You know, like they're like, I've never yeah. smoked anything like it's, this before. It's a whole other business. I mean, mm. the ratio of THC to CBD is a big deal. You know, there are parents who have kids with epilepsy that literally move to the state of Colorado just so they can get um, this I don't know if I should say the name because it's hard for them to get and I want them to get it, but it's called Charlotte's Web. Is a pure CBD cannabis and it is effective treatment for their kids' epilepsy. Yeah, People yeah. should look into this if their children have epilepsy. Obviously, talk to your neurologist. But the, uh, the high THC cannabis is far and away a different drug, all right? Yeah. It's creating a whole different set of neurochemical um, uh, reactions in the brain. And, you know, everybody's different, right? Some people can handle that high THC knowing, you know, if you have a predisposition to bipolar disorder, which they now call it or depression, bipolar depression, then cannabis is not going to be a good idea for you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but it seems like you handle it well. I, I, just, alco- like, I just like listen, a couple of The alcohol and, thing is it's going to yeah. lower your blood pressure, reduce your incidence of glaucoma. There are some problems alcohol? with, uh, no, cannabis. Oh, like, no, alcohol. It raises the thing with alcohol, it basically, alcohol basically has no therapeutic benefits except for the psychological benefits that people think they're getting while they're on it, but then they get that heightened anxiety when they're not drinking. Yeah. And I'm not, listen, I'm not against people having a few drinks or occasionally even having more than a few drinks as long as they don't drive and they behave well. But the reality is if you could cut out alcohol, whew, you're adding years to your life, your cognition, your comedy, you know, and, yeah. and, and, Let's be frank, I don't know you well enough to say this, but I'll say it anyway. You don't seem like somebody who can have just two a week. I think zero is going to oh, be... Why, 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 why. Let's, let's be... I think let's, zero is going to be... Let's talk I think logistics. Zero, by the way, your fans probably hate me right now. No, they're like, why'd no you bring one, this asshole there's on? There's no but, one who has two drinks a week. There's <laughs> not... Listen, if you're that person, you're lying to yourself. No one goes, well, that one whiskey was great. I'll have another one Thursday. <laughs> Fuck 
off. I saw Tom have one drink the other oh, night. Oh, he's dead inside. He, he always says this. Like, <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I don't even think you finished your drink. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so either. I don't mm-hmm. think you finished your drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because you didn't want it, so I get it. Don't get the yeah, calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's my whole point. It's like, don't have the fucking calories. Yeah. Like, what am I drinking red wine to stain my teeth? No. Yeah. I either drink at a party or I don't drink at a party. Like, yeah. like, I don't, like, I'm not gonna, I like, I, you I should, drink, you drink wine though like it is <laughs> like you're mm-hmm. like it's 105 and it's Gatorade like you're just I like I drink wine like pour. Alexander and I are great are pulling up on an elephant in yeah. five minutes like yeah. I'm like fuck it let's down it yeah but also you have kids right you want to be around for do you have grandkids yet <laughs> soon <laughs> probably oh, yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize that I guess so, they can how fuck. many kids do you have <laughs> I was thinking about kids as babies I, I, like, like, I like your family posts yeah. like I like the really irreverent family posts yeah. that you do how no, many kids do you have? I have two. Two kids. You have any kids? No. No. Uh, good. Good. Porn stars. The. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I have two kids. Uh, you know, I, I've always said I, there are times you want a drink. Like I said, I've said to my daughters, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not drinking. And they're like, oh, it's great. And then they said, you know, you seem very present. You seem very grounded. And then my daughter, Isla, at Leanne's birthday party was like, yo, Fetus, you drinking? And I was like, no. She goes, you sure? And I was like, what are you, what's wrong? She goes, you really not drinking? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I was like, hold on, just you know, if I want to drink, I'm gonna fucking drink. Like, like no one's like, we're not, we're not having problems here. Like, she goes, no, I'm just proud that you said you weren't gonna drink. You didn't. But drink. This is a big thing for you. The like, no one's telling me. No one tells me a fucking what to I do. I know. And punk the rocker, but I respect that. No, 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 the no, other, no, 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 no. That punk the other thing, lifelong punk rocker. Nobody yeah. tells me what to do. No one tells you what to you're do. Not gonna tell me what to do. Don't force anything down my throat. No, you're not gonna tell me what to do. But you don't want that to get in the way of doing what's best for you, right? I don't want, I don't want, but there's a second part to this, which is that you recently said to me when we were recording, yeah, you go, this is the first time that I am doing this just for me. I chose to do it. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like, it's a bet or a challenge. Normally when I'm sober, we do this thing called sober October. It's Mm. me, Tom, Joe Rogan, and this guy, Ari Shafir. And we, we would, uh, this guy, <laughs> I, I'm just—I've never met Shafir. Yeah, I know uh, Joe, obviously, but like—is is Shafir a drinker? Uh, yeah. But right didn't now. you guys literally drink him under the table on the Rogan podcast? No, that, no, no, that was that's, uh, uh, Shane Gillis. That's uh, Joe's other so rock over. Well, I don't know Shane Gillis, but if you hear a name Shane Gillis, you, you assume and then an Ari Shafir. Shane can take him down. Shane can take him down. You can already predict who's going to win that. Yeah, Shane can take him down. Ari's a, Ari's a real, uh, uh, he likes uh, hallucinogenics, you know. He likes so. but he's drinking a lot. Yeah. We talked on the phone the other day. He's drinking a lot right now. But it's just, uh, you know, but I, I, I think I have a weird thing about being told what to do. So I'm like, you know, and the, uh, so I, but. We always do it as a bet. Every year we do. We don't drink in October. No drugs or alcohol. And we do a workout challenge. Mm-hmm. Is that hard for you to not drink? No. It's, it's not See, that's the interesting thing. In the world. A lot of people would, with your level, your prior level of alcohol consumption, would quit drinking alcohol and would be very stressed. You know, even like delirium no, tremens. I, I, yeah. So clearly, we have a, we have, I know a guy going through rehab right now, and uh, they just he's been sober now. I think two weeks less than me. It was a good friend of mine, and uh, they just took him out of the out of the hospital part. Oh yeah, for like they leave you in a hospital for a while because you're se- worried about strokes. And I was like, Oh, for and, severe alcoholics, they, yeah. they need to be medically supervised at, when they transition out of drinking alcohol. That actually, but that statement I have to put an asterisk next to it because a lot of people avoid quitting alcohol because they're like, Oh, you have to be medically supervised in order to do it. Look, there are millions of people who manage to get themselves off alcohol by 
going to meetings that don't cost anything by community. You're not, here's the other thing. And I'm not, ta- I'm certainly not telling you what to do. Yeah. I don't tell anyone what to do. You don't have to do it alone. Like it's not the sort of thing that you're supposed to white knuckle on your own or do because someone else told you to do certainly. But if you wanted to do it, you know, there are ways to do it and you're doing it. I think it's great that you're combining it with a lot more exercise. I like the post that you did the other day with in the squat rack or the benching rack. That was great. Like the more that you're putting out there that you're doing other things for your health, the better you're going to feel, you know, a number of people have gotten sober from alcohol. Rich roll comes to mind. Um, you know, the runner, the runner used to be a severe alcoholic. I mean, I don't think he'd mind sharing me sharing this because he wrote a book about it, finding ultra, but he, which is a great book, by the way, he was, he went to Stanford on a D one swimming scholarship and he, Destroyed his swimming career. Swimmers drinking. are all alcoholics. Mm. Is that right? Dude, mm. it's a big. Really? Yeah, swimmers are all luscious. Swimmers, swimmers and hockey players. <clears throat> and hockey players. Okay, well, he doesn't, you know, he's sober many years now. But, you know, the running thing helped him. He also, for him, plant-based worked best. I think everybody finds a diet that works best for them. A I, lot of people that go sober end up putting a lot of energy into exercise. I know a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They start moving. Just, and you start feeling good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the thing. But they're also channeling like some of that anxiety <sighs> Absolutely. and emotion that used to go into like consumption of booze or drugs and they go mm-hmm. like, Absolutely. I fucking ran 12 miles and then yep. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can literally move the anxiety out of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's running, what I do. lifting. That's what I do in the mornings, meaning when I, when I drank, I would just go as hard as I could in the mornings and then all of a sudden all the anxiety would shake out of me. All the bad thoughts. All I got so much serotonin. Then I saw a polar plunge, and I'd be like, "Done." And I was like, uh, "But now I just get done working out. I just—I mean, I feel great in the mornings. I feel great at night. I'm not defending uh, not drinking because here's the thing: is like all that stuff, all the stuff doesn't compare to the sparkle you get after like a cold fucking beer, where it just goes." It's all gonna be okay. You should dance. Yeah, but you know, know, in the back feeling. But you know, in the back of your mind that that it doesn't mean it's all gonna be okay. It's lying to you. I don't need the prostitute to tell me this is a business transaction. Say that you love me. I don't give a fuck how I get told I love you. Just say it in my ear. I don't care if you mean it. So you'll pay for the delusion. That's what drinking is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Delusion is. But the payment. But the payment is is through your. Through your biology, through, through your liver. Biology, yeah, right. yeah. We're all gonna get die one day. Yeah, yeah. I used to use that for to. I use that logic to go cage exit. You know, diving with great white sharks. Used to ride motorcycles. Bunch of dumb stuff. Who, you? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Guess swam, who, I swam with great white sharks out of the cage yeah, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guadalupe yeah. Island. No, no. I okay. did it in Catalina. So little sharks. No, I'm no, kidding. no. Great white. <laughs> and we did it in South Africa. Rode okay. motorcycles well, to Sturgis. Just keep going. Because I can I tell you what I did. You're more so of a man than, than me because in Mexico the water's clear. You oh, can see them coming. Guadalupe Island. Yeah, put that on our fucking yeah. bucket list. Okay. That's the Please fucking thing. Don't, but no, it's like a three day boat ride there. Yeah. You're Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold I, on. Yeah. So been I, there twice. Did the cage exit thing? Day, I don't recommend it. I, the day I, I quit oh, drinking, like the Y chromosome. Right now. The Y. Listen, I listen. We're all Y chromosomes in in this couch setting. As far as I know, I haven't karyotyped us all, but I'm going to take the guess, the leap of faith. Look, the Y chromosome is a great thing on the one hand, but it's also what leads people to do stupid things like go cage exit, great white shark diving, and have an air failure at depth. You, me. Yes, all caught on film. I 
we can talk was about this some for other like guys. Shark Week or something. No, this was to record fear stimuli from the VR in my laboratory. Totally unnecessary. Do you realize how different you guys yeah. are? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's what? from New York. He doesn't wow. need to do any of this. Let me ask you ever swim with Great White Sharks? No. Would you? Are you signing up for that? No. Wait, what <laughs> happened with the... Because um, we actually were discussing this in Aspen, and I didn't get through. What happened with the air failure? All right, real quick. So they, Fuck yes. So, a good fucking diving story yes, yes, yes. is a okay. fucking drinking right, story. So, okay, so... 2016, went out to Guadalupe Island with my laboratory, filmed 360 VR for fear stimulus that we could use back in the lab. For that trip, got dive certified. They have a surface cage right off the back of the boat, and then they drop a cage by crane about 40 feet below the surface. Hang on, real quick. I just want to... So you got certified for that trip? Yes. So... How many hours did you spend in the water before this this fucking? No, that was year one. I, and okay, I did okay, some in between, good. so I spent a good amount of time. That's okay. Yeah. I just I didn't know if you did like yeah. a like a like a resort course and then no, went no, down and went great. Got Patty certified okay. in Monterey Bay, which Perfect. was scary as hell because there's all kelp shit. and you, there the sharks will pick you off and you will never see them coming. Yeah. Okay. So this was with my friend Michael Muller, who's um, a very well known uh, photographer down here in Los Angeles, um, who also. He takes pictures of celebrities and sharks and does this beautiful shark art. Uh, you can see his stuff. It's spectacular. In any event, year two, 2017, we go back to get better footage with better cameras. And on the second day, I decide to go down in the cage again. Three divers leave in the cage exit. And the way that you don't get eaten by a great white shark down there is when you see them coming, you swim toward them. And they interpret that as, oh, I guess you're not prey. And they, they bank off you and they leave you alone. So counterintuitive. It's pretty crazy. And those, those guys are on scuba. Wow. I'm in the cage alone, and I've been in the cage before. Now, mind you, it's dropped 40 feet below the surface. And there are a bunch of sharks around, and the guys are out of the cage. And I'm breathing off a hookah line that runs up to the surface, right? Because you're not on scuba when you're in the cage, yeah. typically, if you're staying yeah. in the cage. So I'm just kind of looking at this, and I'm like, yeah, it's cold down here, but I've been here before. And then no air coming through the hookah line. Not good. So I look up, and the hookah line got kind of boa constrictored up into a bundle. So I pop up. Try not to, it's hard as concrete because it's cold at that depth, okay? It's not super cold, but it's wetsuit cold. And that thing is like concrete. So I'm like, oh God. So I poof, spit the thing out of my mouth, go down to the safety tank in the corner, turn the thing, nothing. It's empty. Go to the other safety tank. I'm holding my it, breath listening to the story. It, as it is nothing. It's empty. <sighs> okay, now I'm afraid. So pop up to the top of the cage. I have a weight belt on, right? I think, okay, I'm going to pop to the surface, but there's literally great white sharks everywhere. By the way, this is all caught on video because we've got cameras mounted everywhere. We've got GoPros everywhere. Those guys are out of the cage. You can shout underwater. They're not going to hear you. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot for the surface, which is what the sharks like if they're chasing a tuna. We actually posted on my Instagram and elsewhere a picture of a shark uh, that video, video of a shark taking a tuna off the side of the boat. I saw that. that, that he yeah. was the vid- he recorded yeah, I shot that. that. He no. shot that. Yes, yeah. I shot that. With the blood in the water? No, the one where the, the, the shark, shark comes, comes out, comes under, out. The, under the boat and chomps that tuna in half like a razor. Okay, so I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to die down here though, right? Feel so free to pull that up. Decide right to take off my weight belt so I don't drop to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. It's like, whoa. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get eaten by a shark. Yeah, we have it on YouTube and... Uh, um, if you go, it's on, yeah, it's on my Instagram. You can scroll. There it is that, um, on Instagram dopamine where it says dopamine. It was back there. If you want to save, I forget how far back, uh, second one down, second one down. Yeah. Second one down. That's me hiking. So, yeah. This happened it was sound. It's good. I don't know. Yeah. But look at this. Watch this. So these are big oh sharks. My God. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a big beast. And they are very streamlined in the water. Mm. Uh, so, they, it's the fastest animal I've ever been head-to-head with. They move with such intention that when you think it'll slowly, but when it decides to turn, it's turned quicker than a bull in my oh, opinion. And down there what they'll do is you'll be tracking one. And you'll be watching, and another one's coming to pick you off from the bottom. So that's why you need three divers in the water if you're going to be out of the cage. So I decided to hook my arms under We're the going ladder. Guadalupe and I'm thinking, I'll, I'll pick, uh, hook Wait, you up with sorry. Mahler. So at this point, you take that hook out. I'm on top of the cage. I have no air. I haven't had a sip of air in probably 20, 30 seconds. Okay, yeah, because everything's But remember, if you do a big, like, <gasps> and go under the pool water for, you know, 30 seconds a minute, you're okay. I didn't get the <gasps> big gulp before. Right. I just... I'm just sipping slow, and then all of a sudden, nada. So I put my arms underneath the ladder, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to shoot for the surface. And then one of the divers I was with turns around, and he sees me, I think, and he starts kicking his way toward me with carrying this big VR camera. It's like underwater vacuum cleaner is kind of how to best describe it. And I'm thinking, okay, I might pass out, but at least I'll float to the top most likely. Finally, he gets back, this guy Brock, and we do the share air thing. So I'm finally like, and he's like, what is going on? Except now we have a problem because we're under there. There are two guys out. We're now sharing air off of his off his scuba, off a scuba tank. Well, eventually those other guys get out and we bail out. We and you know we emergencyed up to the surface. And when we get to the top, everyone's like, "What happened? What happened?" I'm like puking up water. A buddy of mine um, who was on that trip, who's a former SEAL team guy, just takes me aside of the boat and he just goes, "So what do you learn from that experience?" That was it. Like super mellow, typical SEAL, this yeah. typical team guy. And I'm like, check the safeties. Like always check the safety. So it turns out that the divers had been sipping off the safety tanks on the way down because they want more air in their scuba tanks so they can stay out longer. Mm. So here's what happened. That night, I'm like obviously anxious. That didn't feel good. But I know enough about PTSD and I know enough about anxiety and the way that the brain works that I decided next morning, and I didn't, I'm not saying this because I, I don't claim to be tough, but I got into my scuba gear, put on my scuba tank, went down in the cage and cage exited the next day. Also caught on film if anyone wants to call bullshit on that. Now, I didn't do it to be tough. I did it because now I felt like I got past that experience. I never once, I don't like to say I nearly died. I like to think that the Reaper came in and was like offered me a fist bump and I decided to give him the finger instead. You know, it's kind of, but but I'll tell you, when by the time we got back across the US border, I thought to myself, okay, what am I doing, right? I'm like 44 years old. Uh, or 43 years old at the time, I'm, you know, tenured professor at Stanford. I'm like, you know, I'm like, do I really need to be cage exit diving with great white sharks? And for me, that was the end. That was the last of any uh, deliberate physical risk taking. Was it very you important know? that you did um, that the thing the next day? Yes. Because uh, I've yeah. had like not the same experience, but things that like have been traumatizing that you, you go, you broke, you I got to get back. Playing basketball. You, you, you have to, to, no basketball. You basketball. have to. You have to. He broke. Hang on. You have to confront him. Blew again. out his knee and broke his arm in half going up Did to you dunk break? a ball. What? So one time? Same one time? time? He just time. thought he could yeah. dunk on a Double 10 whammy. foot rim. Yeah. So I hadn't seen the video. Yeah. Oh, you want to watch it? I'd love to watch it. But there's a video? Hey, but, but Whitney Cummings brought it up for me Stop. the other day. Oh, she did? Yeah, because yeah. I went to I went over to the comedy store. Yeah. Uh, Jason Ellis and Whitney were doing some comedy That's there. Terrible. And, and I said, you know, what was this fall? But this was one of the more dramatic basketball falls I've it's, ever it's seen. It's good. Yeah. I would go it's, down. It's I would so go intense. back, go back, go back. I'll go to the one, go that one. What happened? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Get ready. Hang on. Do you want to hear it? You still play, right? Hold yeah. on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, go so back, go key. back. Yeah, you have to. So as he goes, oh. Yeah. 
His knee blows so the out. The leg was already. Was, and see the arms going were you, the were you, Oh, you were man. Quite a bit more overweight back then. Yeah, but there's also something that. Oh, nobody, you slipped on the way up. Well, actually, what happened was it, it's, I didn't slip. There's, a, there's an important thing about this that nobody talks about is that right before this, we had been dunking on the hoop as we were raising it. So we're, we're, we're putting oh. everything we have into it. We're both like 250 pounds, mm. and we do it at like seven and a half, eight. Eight and a half, nine, mm. nine. I dunked, mm. and then we were done because yeah. you couldn't do it. So that was yeah. the end of it. Mm. It was over. Mm. And the guy was like, "I think you can do a little more." Mm. Raises it up a few inches. So you were gonna dunk the ball. That's what I was oh, going yeah. to do. I just did it, and then on my left leg, you just did it on nine too. So it was yep. like, so I was like, I got. You can like I'm cringing watching this because I yeah, that's I like had ten. That's, that's, that's what happened the ten, there. The left, oh. the, the reason it looks like oh. a slip is that this tendon ruptured, and then <sighs> I land on the arm and break it, so it's a double whammy at the same time. But you play basketball now. But this it was, is key. Yeah, and this the big thing that I was scared of after this was jumping. Like in other words, you rehab. You know, I went through the surgery, all the rehab, and even like I got obviously first you walk, yeah, I'd, I'd like because everything atrophied when it was in the straight brace. You got to be smart about how you make your way back. It was a long way back. But the last thing that yeah. I was like, I yeah. need to do is jump, and so first you're doing like you know these little little bunny hops. Yep, you have to work your way back slowly, and then eventually played basketball where I was jumping like as hard as I could again, and you know the first time you're like. <gasps> Like you have that internal oh, panic, fuck me. you know, yes. and landing hard. Yeah, this is so tough. You know, but then you know, this is the key. I mean, I'm just you, coming off an injury you know, too. Going man. back down on scuba yeah. wasn't reckless. Tore my rotator cuff last year. Doing what? Trying to become. Uh, uh, I was trying to get ready for tour, and I was going to the gym twice a day. Twice um, a day. Uh, it's four or five times a week. Whoa. Hitting the hitting the bench and just going crazy. And I started playing ball for cardio, and then one day I played for like a little bit too long and tore my. I'm just coming. I'm just coming off an injury. I've been doing a osteo, mm -hmm. osteo um, um, therapy, yeah. and it's gotten me back to at least like being able to shoot. But like, I can like barely do like five, ten push-ups. I was like going, going rough. So like, yeah, because you look at like an athletic guy. So, but twice a day in the gym is a lot. I was trying to get bulky. One of my homies got bulk, bulky. And he was like, "Yeah, oh, this is what we was doing." I was like, "All right, I can switch over my plan. And try to do that." I'm going. Try to get this way for tour. So. And shoulders are like, there's something about like the every time that I've gone into like heavy, the thing that I always tweak for upper body is shoulders. Yeah, it's, well, it's the key the is to also do enough pulling. You want to make sure like a lot of people bench, they push ups, but you want to make sure you're doing enough rowing and things pulling to balance them. out the upper back muscles. Yeah, because otherwise the shoulder joint, you know, is designed to go in multiple directions, uh -huh. you know, and, and so balancing out. There you are doing a nice shoulder extension. Oh yeah, that was um, right afterwards. But and I think then, like but you made a really key point, Tom, which is that you, you work your way back. Air Segura up there, the the, the drop. That's like airs. The, the top right. Oh yeah, the video. Is that, that if you hit that one, that's when no, not that one, the one that said Air Segura. Um, Air Segura versus Rainbow. Yeah, so this is like getting back to playing. You're mm. in good shape, man. Yeah, so that was now. you are. But that was like you hoopa. Let's go. But no. that was like. <laughs> That was like, I'm tennis. saying the two years plus to get back to playing like that, you know? That's like, crazy. Ah, all right. That's great. Yeah, I see, so I see the, you out there. Yeah, you, yeah, you take yeah, your time going back. I mean, you the, take the, your time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tom, was a, Tom was a legit collegiate athlete. That's, like, that's what's crazy. Were you, were you yeah. playing football at fucking? No, I didn't play football in college. The, the Christian place. <laughs> 
You don't know him that well yet, but like he'll just be like, Tom played in the NFL. <laughs> like, so, hey, can Stevie Wonder see? I knew it. I fucking knew it. Can no. I tell you this? What, can he see? Yeah, Bro, he, he, I think he can see. This is oh. what happened to me last year. I'm, I'm just going to tell you. I'm sitting, uh, this humble brag, I'm at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and I'm in the lobby, and I'm sitting there waiting for a car to pick me up. And I, I know there are a few, so I'm like, on my phone like this. I'm sitting in the lobby. I look up at Stevie Wonder and drives up in your Uber. He's the Bro. Uber driver. <laughs> he, he walks up with the, the dude who's like, over here. And I'm like, I'm like, my mouth drops, right? I have my phone, and I'm like, and he's standing like, like where you are in, in distance. I mean, I'm like, wow. And I want to say something. And then uh, the guy goes, bathroom's over there, Stevie. And he's like, all right. And then Stevie's like, I'll see you in a minute, man. And he walks, and I'm like, I watch him go to the, I'm like, he's just unguided to the bathroom, mm. right? So I'm like, oh, like, he's he's taking it from there. And I was like, oh, he, he could see that much. He can see. Does he have a little bit of low level vision? I don't know. Has to. I think. I think. Has what to. Happened, I think this is my my two cents. You don't have to say anything, so you don't fuck up a relationship. Here's my two cents. As a kid, they're like, "Yo, he's blind, right?" Yeah, yeah. And then blind became the thing, and they're like, "He's like, he's like Josh Potter. He's like, well, I can see like shapes and shit, but yeah. like, but that didn't sell. You needed to be full blind or nothing. You know, like they couldn't be like this kid." Just has bad vision, but he's also really well, legally yeah, yeah. blind, right? Legally you know, blind. There's, there's a range there. Um, like for instance, there's a, a really impressive skateboarder. There are a number of them now. Uh, my friend Dan Mancina, he's a blind skateboarder. He is he's blind from retinitis pigmentosa, and he does legit skateboarding railings, grind sounds. You know, all he's downstairs does all of that. Uses the cane to kind of feel I things I've out. I've seen this dude. Yeah, Mancina is amazing. Dan the Man Cena um, is. Super impressive. And there are others out there. He's actually, um, he has a not-for-profit to create skate parks for the blind where the obstacles make sounds so they can essentially navigate by sonar. That's cool. Just super cool. Super Your kids cool. get off of there. Well, I you think know, that, that, but they, I think uh, that kid, but they learn. Like, so Stevie, regardless of whether or not he's low vision, as we call it, or no vision, yeah. like truly no vision or low vision where they can see shapes. And sometimes they get um, kind of what are called phosphemes, which are kind of these, like, they can see light. Oh, that's right. You're like, not there's light from above. I'm, um, I'm not a clinician, but yeah, I know a, th uh, a fair amount about this. They, um, you know, they learn to navigate through a combination of sound and, you know, it's brighter over there than it is over there. I mean, you know, we are very visual animals, yeah, but we can adapt, right? It's hard for us to navigate by smell, but part, we can adapt to learn. Uh, part to of it is, I hearing. think with Stevie is like what, what Bert said though, is that when you're, when you first heard about Stevie Wonder, they just go, this guy is a musician who's blind. And as a kid, your concept of blind is like cannot see. It's just, just pitch, pitch black. black. That's that's what well, you think of. And he wears the glasses. And he wears glasses. But yeah. then you realize that though, even with blindness, that there's there are like like someone can be like yeah, yeah you can't drive. You yeah, can't. we call it low vision, low vision, or no vision, yeah. but legally blind. Listen, here's what's scary: there are many people who are basically blind. They cannot see well enough to read. Who are out there driving because most of your driving is in your peripheral vision. Right, you see something coming, you swerve. You didn't really yeah. see the details, right? So, you know, nowadays, of course, as always, you go to the DMV, you know, you wait forever, and then you you do the the what's called the Snellen chart, where it's just where you say that's an A, that's a one, that's a two, and down to the small ones. But there's a fair amount of um, uh, liberty there in terms of what they let people 
um, Get away with. see or not see in order to drive. Yeah, yeah. And then in addition to that, people are texting now. Remember when they used yeah. to try and get people to not text and drive? Yeah. They sort of gave up on that. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, you'll get pulled yeah. over every once in a while, but look how many people are texting. Oh, it's all the time. Yeah. It's you see heads down. Even like with YouTube, you, you know, where you can talk time. to Siri or whatever it's called, it's terrible. I mean, people are literally people who, texting um, and People who motorcycle and ride bikes are the ones who will tell you that they, they get that, that, point of view all the time mm -hmm. looking in the cars and if you tell somebody who ride bikes they're like all you see is people looking mm -hmm. down as they're driving cars yeah. like mm -hmm. that's what they notice on their bike because mm -hmm. they, they look into the car so like oh no one is looking up mm -hmm. yeah you need some accountability or something yeah. Yeah. Wait, i want to ask you about yeah. the you need some accountability like my my um uh girlfriend's kids right we used to do this thing like we'll give you five dollars every time we check our phones because even even as an adult Right, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna look at my phone. But yeah. then you want to put in something, and then you're, you're putting in something for the map, and then you like see a text come in, and it's 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 tough. Yeah, right, it's tough. Mm -hmm. You, you want to you feel that impulse. It's you have to stop yourself. Can I ask you this because you mentioned this about the shark thing that it was it's for your lab and mm -hmm. the the fear and I and I saw you post and I heard you talk about these these studies, but what can you? I mean, I know it's obviously you can probably go into great great detail. What do you learn about fear by what you guys are doing? Like, what is the lab learning about? <laughs> yeah. They're just going, yeah, he shit his pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. That, that's uh, super so, yeah, scary. So, <laughs> so the, the bullet point takeaway is so that, um, you know, people fall into bins of, you know, there are some people who handle anxiety very well. Other people ha handle it very poorly. We know this. But what's interesting, uh, one of the things that's interesting is that everybody has quite a lot of anxiety, believe it or not. But it's just that some people have tools they use to be able to, dis to work with that anxiety. Typically, the best thing to do if you have anxiety is to move your body. Anxiety is really your nervous system's attempt to move your body, right? If you're shaking, right? For Before real? going, oh, yes. It's, you know, people talk about fight or flight. Yeah, that's one aspect of it. There is the freeze response, but the freeze response is actually an active response. You have to deliberately try and freeze. Think playing hide and seek when you're a kid. Someone's coming through. Or like in a horror movie, the person's hiding in a closet. That's a lot of work to stay that still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's not like freeze, like catatonic freeze. Okay? Right. It's not like the fentanyl freeze that you see out there. You know, different topic altogether. Just had to throw that in there. Fentanyl crisis is real. The... Um, <laughs> The, the thing about anxiety is that some people know how to work with it. They wake up in the morning with some anxiety, they go for a run or they know how to, or they'll sing, right? Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll vocalize or they'll do mm -hmm. something to move it out of their body. People who experience a lot of, let's just call it pathologic anxiety, people who they don't have tools to move it out of their system. And so they're there trying to, you know, it, they're quaking inside. And, and so, you know, my lab's worked out a number of, of adaptive tools like the physiological sigh. We've talked about this as a natural pattern of breathing that occurs during sleep where every so often you'll double inhale and then do a long exhale that restores your oxygen and carbon dioxide ratios properly in your body. This is something you do just naturally about once every one to five minutes when you're awake and repeatedly throughout sleep. But we've shown, for instance, that if people do this physiological sigh deliberately, which is... It looks ridiculous, but it's a double inhale through the nose so your lungs are fully full and then exhale all your air out of your mouth. That's the fastest way we are aware of to completely reduce your anxiety. That's really? a, so this is a very useful anxiety, tool. So if you're heading, I'll go, I'm not breathing. Right, right. Mm. There's email apnea, there's text apnea. Um, people tend to underbreathe or overbreathe. But in one of the great things also about losing weight, about drinking zero or 
less alcohol is that you probably are having less sleep apnea. Yeah. Well, sleep I apnea. I actually don't believe in sleep apnea. I think really? that's overprescribed the same way alcoholism is. I think okay. it's such a go-to under breathing in sleep. I, I think yeah. they're snoring, and then there's but like there's severe sleep apnea. Like Joe Coy sure. has sleep apnea. Like he goes right. He's like, gasping. Yeah, there. like the, I've heard those guys yeah. th- that helps. But I think. What has happened is they look at everyone and they prescribe everyone's sleep apnea machines. Everyone's, I've not no, met I don't a think people should get on the machines in most cases. I think most people should lose weight. Lose weight. Lose weight, exercise. Or get also, your uvula cut. Doing cardiovascular exercise during the day will improve your breathing at night. I'm sleeping, I have zero uh, sleep apnea right now. Zero. I think it's, a lot of it is the inflammation in my throat with the drinking and whatnot. But it's zero sleep apnea. And I have the machine. I don't need it at all. I keep, fucking keep dropping sleep. a little yeah. bit more weight. Also, you're a big guy. You're thick. Like you don't need to get, you know, um, you know, Woody Allen uh, right. limbs going. I bet terrible example. Gosh, we're picking all the terrible like examples. Like Tom's legs. Um, Tom's legs. <laughs> Have you ever seen Tom's legs? Mm. Tom's got Tom's got no, some wheels on him. No, he's got I, some I, I, wheels. I, 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 you, you did thirty but, days. Uh, you did thirty days of keto, right? What? You did thirty days of keto. I'm in it right now. And how how much did you drop? Uh, well, I think about 20 pounds. Dope. 20 Dope. pounds in like fucking 20 in a month. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. But if That's you, dope. and if you keep weight training, so this is the thing, everyone used to think weight training is just for bodybuilding, which is obviously not true. Nowadays we understand that everyone should weight train men or women weight train about two to three days per week and do cardio two to three days per week minimum. Yeah. Right. And because what, you know, you have those thicker joints, you're like robust guy, Yeah. you know? So as you drop weight, if you're weight training, Sure, your weight loss might plateau a little bit, but you'll be adding more muscle while losing weight. Especially. I'm curious. I'm curious. I, I was at one point when we were doing Sober October back in the day, I would I weighed like 220, but I had zero muscle on me. And I look fatter than I look now. Like, and, and my shoulder, I had no shoulders. Now I'm a lot thicker. I'm uh, the strongest I've ever been, probably the most muscular I've ever been in my life. And I wonder how much weight versus fat versus back then. Yeah, we like, could get you into a DEXA or do something like that's that. The, that's the thing. You I should probably also get your blood work done, right? You, I, I mean, done so you fucking get, much. Okay. Well, then, then maybe the not. DEXA is definitely worth doing. Yeah. You should do that. You should do that this week. Yeah. And whole body MRI. Really? I did yeah. this recently. I I could mention the company, but I, they I paid for it. They didn't. I I got no cut, nor did I want any. Um, I did the whole body MRI because I'm 48 years old. I want just want to see: Are there any tumors on my liver? Are there any things living in there? Looks good. Fortunately, on your liver. I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Luckily, everything checked out. Little white spots on the brain are bad. You get you're allowed one per decade of life. You know, um, luckily you I have? had I'd won. I'm almost fifty, so I'm good. And I boxed a bit when I was younger, and I skateboarded. Hit my head more than a few times, but I wasn't a real get after it type skateboarder. Like I just didn't. My body hadn't really. I, I hit puberty slow, so I wasn't like super aggro. If I if I had you know been in my twenties, it would have been worse. You look but, like a. A, an ad for puberty right now. Like, like <laughs> I've been going through puberty a very long time. And the fucking muscles. <laughs> I've been going through puberty a very long time. But I'm telling you that if you weight train and do cardiovascular training consistently, you eat well, let's just say like minimally processed or non-processed foods, let's call it 90% of the time. I used to say 80, but then Rogan said, I think it should be more like 90, 95 as you get older. And I think he's right, right? And then every once in a while you you lapse, although some people do better by never lapsing. Well, your all your health markers, how good you feel. I mean, you can feel better than when you were in your 30s. I'm 48. I feel better than when I was in my 20s because I'm sleeping better. I feel better. Every aspect of of health better, you know. And 
so just yeah, just keep doing it. I mean, in many ways, it's like you're making it's like a monetary investment. Like, I, 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 I don't want to. Does it any compounds. part of you uh, enter, like the like at least? Does it entertain what he's saying about like what you could be alcohol free? Yeah, but but ten times funnier. What? Okay, like, but here's the thing: is not ten times funnier. It's impossible. No, and by the way, how fucking lucky did I get that I did? Like, I mean, like, if if I had never drank, I might not have the career I have. Too many variables. Yeah. This is one of those too many variables. Like, as a scientist, you want to isolate variables. It's not even worth doing the experiment. Yeah. You know, I sometimes talk about people are like, what's, you know, what does science say about getting into nature or grounding? I'm like, too many variables. You're standing outside. There's sunlight. There's green. There's birds singing. Like, too many variables. I'm Nature curious. is just good for you. Okay. So it's like, you did it. Maybe yeah. alcohol had something to do with it. I, I have, I have, I have a definite... Uh, I would say hair in my mouth that you know that feeling of like there's something in there like I have a definite hair in my mouth of the idea of like how long could we take this how how good can we feel what could we put out I think I'm I'm definitely I'm a hundred percent more present but then I always say what if I I gotta allow myself the time to 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 there's a part of me that I grew up with that from 22 to here that when when I go, who wants a drink? And that feeling, that energy, I don't ever want to lose that. It's like a first kiss. It's so fun that you're like, and I, what's funny is I'm trying to build intrinsic value in myself by watching him sober last night and, and going You're like, sober from alcohol? No, 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 I was, no. I was sober. Oh, okay. I was watching him sober and I went, man, this is fucking still awesome and I don't need alcohol. Right now it's a lot of growing things, but like I'm definitely drinking on my cruise. I, I want to drink at Red Rocks. Like there's times I want to, I want to have a cold beer. I want to be a part of the, I want to be back in the matrix, you know, like fucking feel myself plug in and taste the steak. Like I I know, I know that sober, it's more valuable and you feel better the next day, but there's a fucking sparkle. This sobriety doesn't give you sometimes. What about the, instead of looking at it as a long arc, I mean, here it's, it sounds uh, cliche, but it's a real thing. Like the whole one day at a time thing. Like it's just like, like today you're not drinking today. You're taking the best possible care of your body. And also the whole idea, like you don't have to do it alone. Like, you know, other people who don't have issues with alcohol, let's not call them alcoholics, aren't going to be the best source of support. There are going to be some people who you look up to and respect who got sober from alcohol, who could be like, hey, Bert, like, I know you're thinking about drinking at Red Rock or the the, the kind of nostalgia that around it. Into, that but leads then, into having a problem, though. But then, but then what about the, what about this, they, they can tell you there's this other galaxy of experiences that you haven't had yet. Yeah. Like, to me, like, the novelty is one of the reasons to be alive, right? It's, you know, I mean. Presu- no, there's, there's a, there is, uh, trust me, I've had a, a bunch of sober experiences. Dance with my daughters at George at Leanne's birthday party on the dance floor. Stone sober and smiling and giggling and laughing and having a great time. I love it. But I also love the other thing. I like the both. I like the yin and the yang. I like the both. I think a guy like you, you're so fucking smart. You can't, you can't fuck with anything but the truth. I like the lie. Uh, well, yeah. so this is interesting. So this is gets into the psychology of it. Right? Yeah. This is interesting. This is interesting um, because. You're right. Actually, uh, the other day, someone I respect greatly, who's highly trained, uh, told me that, you know, I do have a problem, which is that once I see the truth, I can't unsee it. And I I actually used to both um, admire and 
resent people who could somehow just erase the reality of what they've done. Now, I want to be very clear. I am far from perfect. I've got thousands of flaws. I make, I've made tons of mistakes. I'm far from perfect. Okay. But the, the thing is, once I see the truth, like this is better than that, it's hard to unsee for me. Whereas yeah. I think what you said is very important. It's not telling like, ah, we gotcha. This isn't a gotcha. It's yeah. you, I think you like to live in these alternate universes and that universe feels really good to you. So is there a way that that can be put on the shelf in the past? Sounds like that's the, the open question. That's the open question. That's I, the I, open listen, question. If anyone's had a fucking great time drinking, it's me. I, it's me. Uh, if you're saying I had to hang it up right now, easy, easy. Not if you're saying I ha if you're saying doctor says, bro, you're done drinking. Not a fucking problem. I could go tomorrow for the rest of my debt life. I believe you. It's that drink. robustness. Yeah, like you could do it. I feel like you have a whole uh, buffet of options inside of you where you could do it to say f you. I can do it. Or you could also do it to say, I love me. I can do it. Like, it feels right like now I'm doing like it because I love me, right? right. And that's that, good. And that's the best reason to do but, it. But if you tell me, hey, just so you know, you're cool, I just the just the idea of the, the little... Yeah. What about like guys like, I don't know if he was completely sober at the end of his life. I, uh, how could I? Because I didn't know him. But like a guy like Johnny Cash, right? Who had issues with alcohol at one portion of his career. Yeah. Incredible musician. And then, you know, later came back, right? Rick Rubin brought him back. He's doing Nine Inch Nails songs, like ended his career, like <laughs> back up, not on top, but yeah. like above the top, right? And, you know, and he's just, it wasn't a story of this like rise and fall that we see so many times. Like, like the, the, I think of life as, as a series of arcs, right? Like you're trying to layer on other arcs so that the bigger arc is like this, right? Yeah. Nobody wants this. We so many stories of this. It's almost like, like getting you know repetitive now. How many amazing performing artists do well overdose? Do well, you know. It's sad. Right? I'm not making light of yeah. it, but it's like clearly they didn't figure out that what worked before isn't going to work anymore. Yeah. Right. The Jim Morrison's. Like, I mean, imagine if he had kept going. Uh, well, what he could have done. Imagine it's not like their last albums were their best. <laughs> like, like I, I'm just like there is a there is a 27. Well, this is why I have crazy. respect for people yeah, that continually renew themselves. Like we were talking about injuries. Tony Hawk, right? Now I've known Tony since I was a kid. Actually, yeah. I knew his parents as a kid, and you guys know him. I know he's been on your podcast and probably vice versa too. I mean, Tony's in his 50s, broke his femur. Crazy, Most people man. don't come back from that. He just did. A, the 540, which, a.k.a. McTwist, that he broke his femur on, he went back and did it uh, now, having healed himself up. Yeah. And he's not superhuman. He's just super dedicated. And so Tony Hawk is at the top of the game still. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, but there's some guys that should tap out early. Like, there's some artists where you're like, oh, man. Tell me a comedian that was phenomenal, who didn't OD or something, sad, you know, sadly OD or something, who just, like, w got worse over time. Oh, I'm not gonna do that game. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, so even things that these guys won't oh, say. Yeah. They'll throw under us under the bus with all yeah. sorts of stuff. But yeah, they yeah. okay. Yeah. So, but they exist, right? Yeah, yeah. They exist. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, tell oh, me. Oh, by the way, for the record, don't think I'm not hyper aware that I don't want that to happen. You don't want to become. Oh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. No, 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 to you. But, no. But it does happen, and you do not want to become a parody of yourself. You do not want to be a uh, simply a a meme of what people identified you as being i think that's why you shake it up but that's why when tom lost weight and started dressing real nice all of a sudden i thought i was like i was like he used to be very fat 
And so he used, to be too, he used to be bigger than me. And no, he no used to be any fat shaming. What was the heaviest you were? We're about, to, I'm 6'1". You're, he, you're, his yeah. heaviest is probably 295. Nah, he's not yeah. even close. You're 6'1", too. I just want you to guess, Corey. Yes, yeah, Corey, I apologize. Yeah. I told you you'd be here 15 minutes. We've been down here an hour and a half. It's all uh, good. I'm chilling, though. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning a lot, actually. Okay, yeah. So I appreciate okay, you being. Fat Tom scoring. Yeah. 263. Okay. I'm 225, maybe 220 yeah. at 6'1". Six one. You're six feet, 6'1", six 263. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, your big boy. But he but he he's dedicated and he lost the weight. It was yeah. impressive. And, and, and by the way, yeah. it didn't change his See, story. I don't think you were it's meant to like... be that heavy. No, I don't no, think you were no, meant no, to be no, that no. heavy. He, he's, he was. A, he's, what year was that? That was uh, oh, look, look at his, you with oh look with he, he fucking photoshopped my legs you photoshopped it I pulled this up just to get you the legs sorry no, I didn't mean to laugh oh you pulled a picture of your legs for yourself Mark Bell and Nasima with calves and then Tom with fucking asshole sorry those are his legs who did that but he photoshopped that's cruel do you want to see my dick you have some good you have good sized calves okay for the record folks Tom has a legit Set of wheels, and that includes calves. He's very balanced. You know? But but Mark Bell, you know Mark Bell and Nasima, also friends of mine. Yeah, great, uh, great, <laughs> great guys. Um, I mean, they're big dudes. They're big dudes. When he posted this photo, I got so many people like, "You have polio!" Like, uh, <laughs> Come on. like, bro. Like, my dad texted. He goes, "What the fuck's going on with Tom's I, legs?" Asshole. That's terrible. Yeah. That's cruel. Oh, that's him. That's, oh, the, oh, that's, that's me. Cruel. Oh, yeah. you have no idea. I would no never do something like oh, that. Oh, shut the fuck up. I would up. never do something like to get people to say something that is about cruel. you like that. That is You know cruel. what he did to me? He told America I was the most racist comic in America. And that became my branding. For And I was like, and you know how hard that is to back out of? You just have to not say a word for five years. <laughs> he did that. We're best friends. He is the one that told me I was fat the first time and started fat shaming me, and then it turned into a fucking viral campaign That's true. where we had to do a weight loss competition. <laughs> that is true. Do you have a best friend that does that to you, or do you just got cool <laughs> people to go, hey, how's your day going? When we did Bert is Fat, we did Bert is Fat as a campaign. We got videos <laughs> from people... Teaching English as a second language overseas, so like a like a, a a teacher in India, and he was teaching kids like here's how you order a coke, and then he had them say Bird is fat. So they sent us the videos of these little kids being like, oh, My name is Bird is fat. <laughs> it was it was it was yeah it was That's the tough. biggest. It was I could not go online. <laughs> Without going like you know, Bert's ordering extra mayonnaise right now, and I would be ordering extra mayonnaise. Yeah. I want to hear about your... Oh, yeah, that, like, those are the kids. They're all saying Bird is fat. Like... <laughs> but this is after you started losing weight. And then we both started losing weight, yeah. <laughs> Bert Chrysler. Bert Chrysler is fat. Bert Chrysler is fat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bert. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. Bert, I'm so sorry. It's That's so unfair. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. And he's upset that I shrink wrapped his legs. <laughs> yeah. I fuck dogs. I smell like shit. Yeah. You, li you legit Damn. deleted his calves. Yeah, yeah. You, did. you legit deleted his calves. Yeah. So granted, people. Mark Bell and Nassim are both big boys. They big are boys. they are built. Damn. I've trained with them before. They it's, the it's humbling. But um, and they're, here they're at least Mark is at in his uh, slimmer state. Yeah. yeah, but let's also be fair. Mark has been very open about the, his um, 
let's just call it avid use of anabolics, although hopefully he's using less now. <laughs> yeah. Nasima is natural. And Nasima who, is, is he a, is legit. He does not use anabolics. Do you know um, this motherfucker on the left? He's the best dude. 255. Right now? Right in his way? Yeah. He's That's crazy. And he's like, I mean, and you can't find fat on him. It's crazy. Tom took his pants off and looked. <laughs> I mean, he trains yeah. hard. He trains super hard. And he's who like, is, who is he? He's, he's, Zima, he lives up in uh, Sacramento, Davis and area. He's a, with, and he's a black belt in jujitsu, yeah. and like his fucking mm. mobility. Because usually guys that big, yeah. you know, they're big and strong. Mm -hmm. They can't move. I mean, this dude is like. Well, I'll tell you one thing: is we're going to talk about diet and keto. Let's talk. You know, about I have it. a really good friend. Um, he's actually a very well-established uh, skateboard videographer. Um, I don't think he'd mind. His name is Jacob. Um, he knows who he is, um, and you know, he he had struggled lose weight for a long time. I've helped a number of guys lose significant amounts of weight and keep it off. Okay. I'm not a dietitian, not a nutritionist. You know, there are a couple of things that, you know, first of all, we should just establish that calories in cal calories out matters. Okay. Even keto. The laws of thermodynamics apply. So at the moment we start saying about keto, or you're talking about doing mostly meat, vegetables, and fruit, people go, Oh, you know, are you saying calories don't uh, count? No. However, there are certain patterns of eating where you delete certain macronutrients or reduce certain macronutrients. Macronutrients are carbohydrates, fats, and protein, right? Or you limit the timing in the day when you eat them that make it easier for some people to reduce their overall calories relative to how much they burn, okay? So like there's a lot of debate about is intermittent fasting better? Okay, is it gonna make you live longer? We don't know, okay? But what we do know is that if you're only eating between noon and 8 p.m. and that's comfortable for you, you can just do water and coffee early in the day, you know, whatever, and exercise early in the day and then eat, a lot of people find that, you know, they're sated. They feel better doing that than trying to eat small meals spread throughout the day. Okay. And there's tons of debate about this, but with keto or with what I recommended to Jacob and it's working extremely well for him, I'll get an update on the total pound loss, but, um, and how well he keeps it off pretty soon. He sends me a text every day. seems to be working really well is to, you want to make sure you get enough protein. This is why keto is also good, or I'm not a I'm not going to call out diets like carnivore or the lion diet because they're all starting to modify now too. Like what used to be just carnivore or just meat and organs is now also including fruit and some vegetables. And, you know, and people are broadening the, the, what it means. But here's the deal. For a lot of people, when they reduce their complex carbohydrate intake, so no, they cut out bread. A lot of people lose five, 10 pounds just by saying no bread, just yeah. doing rice, pasta, mm -hmm. oatmeal instead. Believe it or not, you're like, how could that be? Okay. A lot of people who then cut out those starches they find they lose significant amounts of weight, some of which is water weight, because for every uh, gram of carbohydrate you ingest, you hold four grams of water. Um, so, or approximately that. Um, by the way, everyone should be hydrating well, okay? Regardless of the diet, getting hydration can also quell your appetite, so that's good. But the idea is that for a lot of people, just getting that protein should be the main focus, quality protein. Quality protein is going to have high amounts of leucine, which is great for muscle repair. Most people would be wise to get one gram of quality protein. We're not talking peanut butter, beans, and rice. Sorry, vegans. We're talking about high quality protein like eggs, fish, meat, that kind of thing per pound of body weight. Then making up the remainder of your calories with, you know, vegetables, 
you probably can't eat too much fruit because you're keto, but some people do really well on just having like berries and meat. Strawberries and, and blueberries. Strawberries okay, and blueberries, low sugar kind of thing. You know, stay away from the papayas, the mangoes and the, and you know, and the peaches. But then some people like myself can do pretty well doing that most of the time. But if you do a hard workout, like a weight workout where you need to replenish glycogen, well, then you can have a bowl of oatmeal or a bowl of rice and you're good. But for a lot of people, the carbohydrates are the runaway freight train. It's like the other, the other night I had, um, mm-hmm meal down in Austin with some friends in common. And we were kind of joking about the fact that, um, not joking, it was like you get bone marrow, it's <clears throat> delicious. But the moment you were put- Hang that, on, were you eating with Rogan? Yeah, sorry. I, okay. I, I, I know wow, I that's wanted, fucking, hey Joe, just so you know, you're branded. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> as soon as I, I heard bone marrow, I go, okay, okay. I wonder right. who this guy was. Right. Was the other one yeah. Lex Friedman? Yeah. Yes, actually there was a photo that went out, so it's no secret. Okay, anyway, I, I, I try not to name drop as, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, I was talking event. to this guy about elk hunting. <laughs> no, 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 come on. There are other people who eat bone marrow besides Joe. Anyway, oh, sorry Joe, can you blame Bert for that one, Joe? Sorry. I don't know where all the traps are here with these comedians, but so marrow, yeah, right? It's delicious. I love it. Extremely sating. You have some marrow in a steak, you feel great. But yeah. guess what? The moment you put that marrow on a piece of toast and you taste it, you're like, I want six more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want eight more. It's like you can just slurp it up over and over. It yeah. doesn't feel as sating. And the reason is that when you eat carbohydrate, your blood sugar levels increase a bit more. They come down even if you're not diabetic. But that blood sugar increase stimulates your appetite. It wants, it makes you want to eat more. So a lot of people feel better not eating at certain parts of the day and then eating only during What's, dedicated parts of the day or reducing their carbohydrate intake. My, my thing is earn your, earn your carbohydrates. So if you weight train in the morning or something, you weight train in the afternoon, replenish your, you know, eat some starches afterwards, fine. Have some fruit, maybe even some pancakes if that's like your thing. But then you have to stop that. To stop and then your next meal should be meat and salad, right? The you know, Dude, I, I'm, and I don't know if this is what you're talking about, if when I was eating carbohydrates, I would make a plate and I would eat it, and then I just keep going back yep. to the mac and cheese, and and not even putting it on my plate, just getting a. But when I eat keto, and I have like I'll have like broccoli and a piece of fish, I eat it and then I go, I'm done eating. Yes, like I literally go, I'm done eating. Well, your brain is foraging mostly for these quality amino acids. Right, which is not to say, listen, there are people who can do okay on a vegetarian or vegan diet. They can. And I think there's some genetic variation there, especially the endurance runners. You know, if you're weight training hard, you need to ingest enough protein to repair your muscles. You still have to sleep to repair your muscles and do other things to repair your muscles, but you are going to require more quality protein. Now, if you're running, you know, ultras, you're also breaking yourself down, but getting quality protein should be the main frame of your, of your nutrient intake. And then some people do well with some berries and some starches and vegetables. Some people do mainly well with vegetables, not too much fruit. Some people who have a very high metabolism, like Nasima or somebody like that, and they're training a lot, they need to do meat, pasta, fish, bread. And then there are those kids, right? In their teens and twenties and those mutants who can just eat and eat and eat and they stay super lean. And let's be honest, a lot of the bodies that you see on Instagram, they're taking either low dose or moderate dose testosterone. They're sometimes also including some Anivar. I'm not recommending people do these things. Work with a doctor if you're going to explore hormone replacement. But the reality is that when you do other things pharmacologically, you can ingest more food and get away with it and it will be metabolized. And so people who take growth hormone, for instance, significantly boost their metabolism. But if you look at people who stay lean over time, they're eating mostly 
non-processed or minimally processed food. So that includes things like oatmeal and rice, sure. But mostly meat, fish, eggs, fruit, quality dairy products. Is this what your friend Jacob is doing? Yeah, so Jacob- Okay, I like this. This sounds good. So what I told- I'm going to get rid of the carbohydrates because I fucking keep- uh, they make me hungry. They're the runaway train. That's my They're runaway the train. You, you will be, it, and it's amazing how, how striking it is. Like, and by the way, I just want to mention something about keto. There's a, uh, a really incredible book and doctor named Chris Palmer from Harvard Medical School who has literally been treating psychiatric illness, certain, um, everything from severe depression, bipolar disorder, different by putting people on ketogenic diets. Basically, there's a growing movement in psychology now called metabolic psychiatry. And the idea is that a lot of mental, quote unquote, mental illness, you know, it's a phrase that's getting a little more controversial, but mental disorders, mental challenges, mental illness are metabolic disorders that impact the brain because obesity and metabolic disorder go hand in hand and metabolic disorder and depression go hand in hand. Now there are thin people who have depression, of course, but those people also seem to do well by shifting onto a ketogenic or keto-ish diet, essentially eliminating simple wife. sugars. So what so what what Jacob is on, and it's working phenomenally well for him, and I have many friends who've done it this way, is and it's gonna sound a little bit like the carnivore diet, but it's it's not really that per se, is you just say you can eat meat, fish, eggs, fruit, and vegetables. And sure, a little bit of olive oil, like you know, you you know, there's a whole seed oil debate, but some quality olive oil, some lemon juice and things, but that's it. Just try that for 60 days and not a single one has come back and said, oh, that didn't work or I overate. All of them are like, I feel amazing. There's it takes like two, three, two, three days, maybe a week before they're like, oh, the morning toast is tough. Or like, you know, I wish I was like able to put sugar in my coffee, but you know, inevitably they all come back. They're adapt. like, they drop like 30, 40 pounds and they keep it off. And then they yeah. use the additional energy like you to exercise more. And then now they're out the gate. They're good. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, they finally got control over their body. Like this kid I grew up with, this guy, Jacob, when we were kids, they called him fat Jake. And he internalized that as his identity. You know, I had uh, Dr. Lane Norton on the podcast. He's a nutrition fitness guy. Yeah, Lane, yeah, Lane's, Lane, Lane's great, right? And Lane, when he came on the podcast, he said, listen, a lot of people who need to lose a significant amount of weight need to actually think about it as destroying the former version of themselves and creating this new version. Kind of David Goggins-ish kind the, of mindset. The former version, that's why I do that cleanse. The former version for me had a problem with walking to the refrigerator. I needed to change my the way I saw snacking like just going like open the refrigerator door i don't even know why i do it i just open it and you got to ch- i have to do a fast to reset my brain to go oh let's not think about alcohol the way we normally do let's mm-hmm. not think about food and then i can start a diet but i can't just like it's hard it's hard to pull the fuck yeah in. so meat vegetables and fruit And and if you think about what happens there, like there's probably a net caloric reduction, the calories in, calories out still applies. And in addition to that, by eating less carbohydrates, people are less hungry. Then they're they're not, you know, a lot of people said, oh, I tried that and I tried something and a diet and it didn't work. More often than not, those people are sneaking calories in the form of carbohydrates. Yeah. And look, does it mean that you can't have a slice of pizza at some point in your future? No, of course you could. But what you generally find is that then people... They kind of don't want to, or you do it after you go and do a weight workout. Yeah. You know, when I'm in New York, I love, I love pizza. So I'll just like get a couple slices after I train. It's like, is it the best post-workout? No, but I'm in New York. I'm going to eat a couple pieces of pizza because I'm a human being and I want to. Right. Um, So I I think the idea is that people, 
um, are confused by all the diets out there, you're living proof that it can be done. And I'm not like a diet guy. I just love to see when people start using behavioral tools. Mostly there's a place for supplementation and prescription drugs. But when people start doing things like getting morning sunlight, getting great sleep, taking care of their diet, doing exercise, it's like I see what happens. Their careers get better. Their their relationship to themselves get better. It's almost like they're like new life breathed into them. And I didn't create any of this stuff. It's It's not like I'm selling them. I have no program to sell. It's just like it, but it works. And then especially when people discover the beauty of weight training and doing cardiovascular training in separate sessions, like there's something magic about that. I agree. And, you know, it's like, and you know, I'm not going to go on to this whole thing about the obesity crisis, blah, blah, blah. I think it's all interwoven. The mental piece, the family history piece, you know, food. I mean, Mark Bell, he'll tell you that in his family, food was like, you know, they would just gorge themselves with food. He was, yes, he was a power lifter. He's 330. But he was fat. He was 330. And he was very unhealthy. And now yeah. Mark is running marathons, yeah. you know, and, and I'm proud of him. I mean, you know, he's a, yeah, I mean, he's a beast, but look yeah. at that. Yeah. Look at that guy. Yeah. Right. And he's, what I love about Mark is his positivity. He's so not positive. telling people what to do. He's like, hey, I'm out here running Super in the heat and around Davis. He's, he's just encouraging people to yeah. do that. He's a very encouraging guy. He's great. Is guy. any of this, and I, 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 is any of this on your radar? Cause like Tom and I are huge fans of Andrew and there are a lot of, uh, Andrew adjacent snake oil salesman out there that'll tell you that'll basically just regurgitate what they've heard him say as if they've said it their own. And then, you know, I'm sure you're aware of that. I mean, occasionally I'll see myself advertising a product like the Jawser sizer for which I have no relationship to. Oh, fuck. Um, I fucking right. bought that. Because of you, <laughs> they I po- bought that. It's listen, a dis- listen, I know how that feels. We told them to take it. <laughs> listen, that they. This oh no we're gonna do it again no 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 this kid no the, I'm telling you so this kid this kid he he literally said I realize I'm not supposed to be doing this but we're gonna keep running the ads um, I do think it's good to be a nose breather unless you're talking or eating because it does shape the your fa- your facial structure will benefit your breathing will benefit there's a yeah. there's a book published by my colleagues at Stanford Paul Ehrlich and Sandra Kahn called Jaws this is a serious book by serious academics with four by Jared Diamond and Robert Sapolsky so some serious heavy hitters and basically <laughs> they show kids some of the kids are yeah if you look at the go to images Fun and you'll see those. kids that are mouth breathers versus nose breathers look at this girl click on this mouth breather prior nose breathe forced to nose breathe Wow! Uh, look, well, look at the, I'm doing that. Look at the aesthetic change. Now look at um, if you go down to the this girl, a lot of uh, dental issues. Yeah. A lot of yeah. There's Paul. Early. These this are just by switching switching to nose breathing and and chewing food chewing people's food, your food like chewing hard foods. If if look if you, I'm gonna just sink jaws or sizer right now, not intentionally, but because they poached me to no end and I told them to take it down, I was not endorsing that product. One of the best ways to build a healthy uh, aesthetic and to breathe properly is to simply just chew your food really well. There is a, something I have no financial relationship to it called mastic gum, which is like a plant sap that they use in Cyprus where you can buy it. It's, a, it's, a real, it's like a hard gum when you chew it. And that will, will alter the structure of your face. In ways mastic? That are, for women, yeah, mastic gum. Women and men, the, the aesthetic changes are really positive and impressive in both men and women. That's because nice. the, I'm the mastic yeah, gum. I love mastic gum. I love um, a jawline. You know, and but you go know, back to go back to the because there are tenants that you. Sorry, Jazzer Sizer. I'm wondering if this is, if this lands on your radar. Like Andrew is a big proponent of morning sun, of sauna, of cold plunge. Not doing cold plunge after heavy weightlifting training. Correct. Wait six the hours. Atrophy, yep. 
atrophy, the, 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 the swelling of the muscle or whatever, it needs that to grow. But other times it's great for you. Like you, he's, but I'm curious, does it, have you ever heard of it? Like morning sun? Do you do morning sun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah, yeah. Get in up, your eyes in the morning. Yeah. I get up and, uh, I've been hiking since I moved here and like, Love it. you know, taking my dog on walks and stuff like that. Your you dog's know. amazing. Thank you. The best <laughs> yeah. bulldogs. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, amazing. So when, uh, I don't have no, uh, no blind on my, mm-hmm. uh, Room window, so the sun comes through. So as soon as the sun comes up, I'm like, do you get inspiration yeah. For, yeah. Uh, for your music from nature? Where do, where does it come from? Like where where do you like where do you find the 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 work you do? Like where does where does it come from? Like are you pulling from conversations from? Right now, I think I'm pulling from, or most of my life, I'm pulling from like my early childhood, which was like growing up in church. Uh, my mother played several different instruments, and um the connection that I learned from playing in church, seeing people, I play a chord and people just start running around dancing and going crazy. Like that kind of power, like really inspired me to want to continue to create. And, um, and now I think about that often, like what's the, what's the chord or what's the movement that's going to make people go, woo. And they want to dance or whatever that emotion is. And I try to, get to that as much as possible. I like to say it's like spirit music, you know what I'm saying? Like soul music. And that's what inspires me. Most, yeah. You guys are playing live these days in Los Angeles. Where, mm-hmm. Whereabouts? At the Masonic Lounge tonight. Masonic Lodge tonight. Uh-huh. Um, um, Hollywood, at the Hollywood Cemetery. I want to go see it. When do you yeah. go back out with your band? Uh, in October, we go out. Um, more, yeah, mostly through Europe. Yeah, for about a month. And then I'm going to have a thing. I started a foundation last year called Live and Love Foundation, helping to uh, underage, um, underprivileged youth. Um, and we're um, throwing a concert <laughs> sometime late December. That's probably the next gig I have in LA. With, with um, your band or by yourself? My band and a few friends and artists. It was like a band, jam. It's like a jam session. When I saw you at the Blue Note. Yeah, that was my so, band. That's fucking yeah, the Funk Apostles. Yeah, the Funk Apostles. It yeah. was. That sounds it was cool. So yeah. I'm telling you, he did this thing, and I, I said this to you. I'll say it again, but he did this thing where he went from station to station, emoting a song to that group, and like he'd go to the backup singers, and then to the drums, and then to the bass, and then to the the guitar and he'd emote it and then he'd come back and he'd feel what they were playing and then he'd I think you said something I feel like it's Sunday we need the spirit in us and then all of a sudden <laughs> I mean everyone's moving it was so fucking powerful that I was like I don't have the ability to do that in stand up yeah. I wish I could figure it out but it was so fun to watch that like I'll be back I'll be back for that fundraiser yeah yeah, yeah to man. watch yeah, I want to go yeah it's yeah. cool jazz is I like, love live music I'll tell you what I'll tell you what and I'm I don't want to. I know Tom's probably on a hard out soon, but like, and I've kept you way longer, Andrew. I could fuck. I listen to you while I sleep, so I could talk to you all day long. But uh, you're the reason I went to this jazz festival. And I told this to Tommy was that I found myself listening to the same nine albums, and I thought that's how you become an old man is you never mm. let change. And I was like, I want to find new music. I got into this band called Goose. It's a jam band. I just discovered them. I said, I'm going to fucking focus. I'm going to try. And when I went to the jazz festival, I said, I want to try to like new stuff. Is there something about maybe learning it like a, like getting into new shit 
that keeps your brain young? No, absolutely. You know, the great physicist, uh, Richard Feynman, you know, is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. It's one of these guys, have, in addition to having Nobel Prizes, he, um, you know, he started learning to paint and draw later in life. He played bongo drums. He was always challenging himself to do new things. And he had a very young, playful spirit his entire life. We know that when you are in a process of learning something new or in the presence of novelty, that your entire set of brain networks shifts the way that it works. Like n nothing else looks the same after going and doing something truly novel, right? Yeah. Uh, healthy, safe, novel, ideally, right? Yeah. But health-promoting, safe, novel. The, the reality is that as we age, we get, quote-unquote, set in our ways. And people become curmudgeons. And there's nothing worse, right? It's this idea that, you know, it's an emphasis on the bad, but it's also that we that we can predict everything that's going to happen. It's like, here we are heading into an election year and it's already wild and you can feel the cynicism set in. There's another way to look at all this, which is, okay, our choices are um, perhaps not what we would want, right? But like, this is, we're on the front edge of human evolution. Like this country needs to evolve forward. What What's possible in the positive direction that can happen? Having some positive anticipation and learning, some sense of hope, like all of that is related to those dopamine circuits. And when the dopaminergic system is cranking, the brain is bathing in what are called neurotrophins. You know, these are things like brain-derived neurotrophic factor that foster new connectivity in the brain. Think back to childhood when everything is new and exciting. You know, you put your kids to sleep at night and you're like, oh, like, you know, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow's the first day of school. They've been to school before, right? Unless yeah. it's the first time they're starting. They've been to school before, but it's all this possibility as we get older become a bit cynical, we're not bringing in new stimuli. Like the, the great Joe Strummer, you know, Clash, but also Mescalero, is a huge fan. One of my favorite things about him, in addition to being an amazing musician, is he was a bit of a philosopher on this topic. He used to, you know, his famous Strummer quote, they actually call it Strummer's Laws, no input, no output. Meaning, unless you're getting new inputs into your system, you really can't expect your comedy to get better, your, the way you interact in any relationships to get better. Fucking new, love that. New inputs. Right, new uh, input, no output. His thing is no input, no output. Meaning, someone unless, write that down for me. I'm putting that Strummer, in my gym. Strummer's mm. law: no input, no output. When you like doing this podcast today, you know, for me is going mm. to be uh, subconsciously and consciously uh, in addition to the podcast that I do on music and the brain. It was coming up in a few days, you mm. know, and so mm. I wouldn't have predicted it. So placing yourself into novel environments that grow you, force you to be a beginner, force you to think about things differently, hear different perspectives. This is the opposite of becoming set in our ways and becoming a curmudgeon where you think you know how everything's going to work out. And this is even true for optimistic people who don't engage in new things. They're like, oh, I like that food. I like, you know, because within your keto diet, it's going to be mostly the same foods, but occasionally you might want to change the types of foods that, are, that you eat within that. Yeah. That'll keep the novelty high. Also with working out, I have a kind of a staple about 75% of what I do is the same thing I've done. Run three times a week, lift three times a week, same movements, but you know, it's good about 30% of the time. Mix it up. But also, like you said, listen to music. Sometimes work out in silence. Sometimes listen to comedy. You know, um, mm. lately I've been going and listening to a lot of comedy. Went down to the comedy store the other night and listening. I'm like, wow, like I'm learning from this and thinking about the brain. And I'm not, I have no aspirations to be a comedian, uh, that, thank, thankfully for everybody. But the, the idea is that when you're bringing in new experiences, it changes the potential of your brain to get better at what you already know and do. And of course, Learning new things is fun. Try trying new things is so trying important. Yeah, he's, I always try to like sign fucking up. Fucking flying helicopters. Yeah. and mm. what I try yeah, to do is you race cars. Yeah, right? but yeah. what I try to do is embrace the. Uh, I think I heard you say it. 
that like there is this part when you're doing something new at the beginning that's challenging, like difficult, like oh, helicopter yeah. flying. And you just embrace yes. the fact that Anxiety. you suck at it yep. and mm. that it's hard as shit. Because yep. mm -hmm. the helicopter stuff is actually so much different than fixed wing, you know, than, than a, a plane. Way more engaged. And there's times when you're just doing, whether it's classroom or what you're doing, like the pre-flight check where you're like, motherfucker. Like, it's hard. What? But you just go, you know what? I'm just going to, let's just go through this whole thing. And you, you embrace it and you get through it and you're like, oh, like... You're embracing the fact that it is going to be this hard, but also I'm flying with this guy who's got 3,000 hours, and he is like, doesn't even, like, it's automatic. You're like, oh, that that comes with experience. Absolutely. So you just kind of like Absolutely. The suffer through it. But The friction, frustration, <laughs> those are the signals to tell your brain to change. If you think about it, if you could do everything, like I can't dunk a basketball, my three-pointer is terrible, but let's say three-pointers, because I'm not going to dunk a basketball most likely, but, you know, Maybe. Uh, I watched that video. Tom. I gave it a like, shot. Yeah. Okay, so three pointers, right? <laughs> three pointers. So let's say I want. Let's say I want to get my three pointers to like you know maybe like sixty five percent make you know swishing them sixty five percent of the times. It's going to yeah. be frustrating. But guess what? If I made every single one, the brain doesn't change. It doesn't. It doesn't change. Okay. If there was some magic like in the movies, you know, where the ball gets redirected and it goes through the net every time, my brain's not going to get any better. Every time you miss, every time you have a fail. That frustration cues the attention systems of your brain and deploys chemicals in your brain for what? For on the next trial and the next trial for your brain to be able to modify itself. So when you make a mistake and you're like, oh, you feel that frustration, that frustration is essentially opening the window for your brain to get better. That's the way to think about frustration. Mm. It's a really good mm. thing. Yeah. It's Plus a great thing because if yeah. your brain could succeed in doing things, why would it change? It mm. won't change because the map is already there of how to do it. But the map isn't there. And so, you know, comedians bombing. You don't want it to like deplete their self-esteem to the point where, you know, they quit. But, you know, those times when you thought something would land and it didn't. No, bad sets oh, help Frustrating. Yeah. Or, yeah, or bad sets really help you. Or it's just not, yeah, like, you know, that's the magic of the brain, which is that it's the only organ in the body that can direct its own changes. So for yeah. the rest of your life, try new things. Try new things. new things. I'm doing but, that today. Try new things. Mm -hmm. What I will say is for, you know, younger people listening, it's good to get um, proficiency at, so, at one thing that will allow you some forward mm -hmm. progress that will give you the option and opportunity to try other things. Uh, it doesn't right, mean right. doing 50 things or every year you're, you're Never changing anything. your major, not changing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, uh, I have to be careful. How, you know, I had a certain criteria in life for, for a while. It was like, you know, people who finish things and people who don't finish things, right? Be a finisher. Learn how to be a finisher. But because that also meant that you worked through the frustration, take mm -hmm. on challenges. And then, yeah, once you have a vocation and you're hopefully making an income that's sustainable, then you can try new things and shift your vocation. Right. But if you're constantly changing up what you're doing, that's not the idea. The idea is to pick something that hopefully does good in the world and that you enjoy and that you can survive on. And then, yeah, try new things, learn new things, yeah. talk to different kinds of people and really learn to listen you know, and I listen to all sorts of podcasts. Now I listen to classical music. I've been listening to Gregorian chants lately. Cause I'm like studying for this music in the brain episode. And I'm like, wow, there's something fundamental about chanting. That's mm -hmm. like getting into that, like real mm -hmm. guttural tones. But I've also been listening to like Russian choir music. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And I'm a punk rocker grew up in that, you know, will be till the day I die. I've been like, you know, rancid, bouncing souls, stiff little fingers, <laughs> the clash. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, there's this whole galaxy of other music like jazz that I definitely need to listen to and tap into. It will, cause it changes you. It makes you different for all the other things that you already do. I got to ask you one last thing about fear before we go. Mm -hmm. You, in the lab thing, you were, 
you're trying things to, I think, elicit fear with, with subjects. Yes. And you would tap into some of the regular things, which was like sharks, heights, et cetera. Is there anything that people are more, like percentage-wise, more people are scared of that you find when you try these things than others? Yeah. Like, is there something that almost everyone is scared of this? Well, the one thing I can do to make anyone panic is yeah. hypoxia. I can, I can deprive you of oxygen. I can have you breathe oh. air that, that puts you... Yeah, that works. That sucks. Yeah. Um, there's one stimulus in the VR that works for just about everybody. Uh -huh. um, and people go, oh, the VR, like, I'm not afraid of the sharks. True, some people aren't afraid because they're not real. But if you're terrified of sharks, like the sharks coming through you at you in VR is terrifying. So sharks is a big one? Sharks was, it was not a high percentage. It's only about 30% of people really don't like that. VR is very Heights. real, by the way. It can be. We had a pair of goggles. We had a pair of goggles that you could cl click to YouTube and you sit and you'd look and you'd be like, wait, I'm really going on a hot air balloon. Oh, dude, like, I thought I, it would fucking yeah. VR is real. I thought yeah. I was at a blow bang in a bowling alley and <laughs> it was totally because of VR. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so th there's a stimulus that, what, that what? I it can't get. It, it's hard. To, it. I think I missed uh, something in there. I think I blow heard bang. it. Okay, I we'll, we'll go there. Okay. The, um, there's a stimulus in the VR where we have um, you sit with uh, your fingers on two keys on the keyboard uh -huh. and you're looking at a screen and all of a sudden out of the screen comes hundreds, if not thousands of spiders and they stretch out behind you. They're not on you yet. And they go behind you and then they start coming up your body and up your back and this on is you. all in VR. Yeah. And you're, and you're, and you're, job is to keep your fingers on the keyboard as long as you can. Oh, now, my friend Jeremy Balenson, who runs a, the VR, a bigger VR laboratory at Stanford, he's really a pioneer in the world of, of VR. Um, they have them wearing suits that are haptic suits. So they're actually getting the tap, 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 tap of the, of the legs of the spiders on you. This mm. is absolutely unnerving for people, even people who like spiders, those those yeah. mutants that like, uh, you know, yeah, the tarantula yeah. walking on me. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely mutants. unnerving. You can tell by my bodily reaction. It's horrible. Um, I, and what was the thing that you said that your lab, didn't your lab do something with Goggins? Yeah, so we brought David out. Um, this was in uh, probably about 2017. Are you familiar with David Goggins? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The David yeah. Goggins. Mm -hmm. uh, Who's David Goggins, uh, former Navy SEAL um, who uh, used to be real fat, um, ran himself thin. Actually, he, mm -hmm. he went buds i think he probably oh, got no, yeah, actually, yeah. Actually, goggins yeah. wrote yeah, yeah, can't hurt yeah, me yeah. seal um, yeah, yeah, yeah he's one of these Sorry. yeah so uh, think about goggins he Crazy. is every bit as intense as the, the i don't want to say his persona because there isn't in like an off-camera version of yeah him. he's just always like that yeah um and yeah he came out and uh he he was like i don't like sharks and we're like okay well who wants to go first he's like i'll go first okay so that's very <laughs> telling and then when we asked him you know rate your your fear on a, a scale of like one to five he was like zero Okay, so for him, like he's learned to kind of suppress yeah. all of those responses. But what's great about David is, you know, we did, I've done a couple of work days with him. And, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, the group is flagging. Everyone's kind of like, you know, and he's just like, no, let's get it. Let's get it. He's changing into shorts. He's, he ran to the airport. He ran from where we were located to the airport. It's got to be like 20 miles. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, with his bag. Well, he was in a big bag, but he ran to the airport. Like, I've heard, I'm running to the airport. <laughs> Goggins actually runs to the airport. This is like a daily. It's not like a yeah. once in a while. Thing. Cameras Goggins on, cameras is, off. That's yeah, him. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, amazing, amazingly impressive. There's a couple guy. real deals yeah. out there. And yeah, Goggins definitely. is Andrew's one of them easily, yeah. but Goggins is mm. definitely fucking yeah, one of them. David, David is uh, he he embodies drive and overcoming one's emotions and narratives of don't do it, I don't want to do it today or that. You seen the pictures of his feet? His feet look like they were mangled by a meat grinder. He runs on those things. He's just basically run his toenails off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really tough. Those those team guys are built different. Yeah, yeah there they are. Yeah. Oh my lord! Yeah. 
Yeah. But we're talking like, you know, oh, he does like the ultra marathon shit, like one yeah. days. That's insane. And he pushes that, that, um, well, I, I don't say pushing it in, the, in that it's not true, but that idea that like, as, as soon as you hear that voice, it's like, stop. Mm. It's like, you got like 40% more mm. in there. Well, it's yeah. the way t- team guys are trained. I've done some work with, the, with those guys, uh, uh, East coast and some Canadian uh, spec ops, you know, like the way Jocko describes it is great, which is, you know, the whole thing of getting them cold, wet and sandy during buds. Right. Is, I mean, they're, they're selecting for people that know, that somehow like really know how to embrace the suck. Like by time they land on the beach and an op, their guns are all wet. They're filled with sand. Like nothing is optimal. We hear so yeah. much about optimize, optimal. They, their starting point is where most people are like done, yeah. long since done. And that's where they sort of like, okay, day begins. And so they, they've, they've like, it's almost like a car that has an extra gas tank that you weren't aware of. Right, because they, they learn to like run on empty and then they discover this reservoir of fuel. Yeah. And so that's, I think, what they're selecting for. Who and do you think would last longer as a Navy SEAL, me or Tom? You mean in the training, in bus just, training? Just, we're talking starting day one. Who who rings the bell first? Goodness. Uh, I, I think you guys both make it through if you're challenging each other. If you're challenging each other. You know what our third but you know is. what it is, is I have a good friend who was an instructor at Bud's for many years and then did a bunch on the tier one East Coast uh, teams. Um, very highly respected there. And he says that there are three features of guys that make it through buds that people either have one, two, or three of these things. Played a varsity sport in high school. That seems to be common to a lot of them. Not necessary, but seems to be be, sufficient, you know, in many cases, not always, right? Doesn't always get them through. Two was um, suspended or sent to detention a lot in high school. Right. And then I forget what the third one is off the top, but there's this kind of like juggle kind of like, (laughs) I think a lot of it is this, like they they get into this competition with the, with the, uh, instructors, like the guys that get through or like, go ahead make it colder. Like you can't kill me kind of thing. Like I think, so that that seems to be a feature of the ones that make it through. Whereas it turns out the pro athletes, the star athletes, you hear this a lot, get to buds, the guys that get the, the, the frog tattoo before they get there, you hear this, they get there and they're used to working under perfect conditions. They're used to being the star. Right. So like what we don't see, we see them running with the boats. What we don't see are the chafed groins, right, from all the sand. We don't see the, the fact that a lot of them have the flu while they're doing it. We don't see, we don't see mm. all the stuff like, and mm. I've heard it's the micro things, the splinter in your foot. It's the, that stuff that's like- The sand in your sock. Yeah, like, you know, it's all of that stuff. It's, they're trying to tap into like every yeah. pain. Like think about a blister. I hate blisters. Blisters take people out of buds. No joke. You think a blister, how could it? It's got to be the 20-mile run. No, it's the five-mile walk with a blister with sand between your toes. And you don't know when it's going to stop. You don't know it's five miles. That's, I think, what culls the, the average Yeah, person, that makes sense. You know. So the answer is... You both make it through. Yeah, we make it through. That was a, I already, I think we sell it to Netflix. I, and it starts me and you with our arms over each other. And it just says buds. Buds. <laughs> um, and I think it's cool because they, you know, great admiration for what they do. I mean, and all the spec, the spec ops folks, I mean, they're, they're out there. Like, they, they, love, they love the work. Yeah. This is the thing. Like, they're out there, you know, the really important stuff. All of it, really, we're not supposed to know about. You know, the, yeah. all the stuff that been laundered and stuff became popularized. But they're out there doing all the work. Like, they're, they're tip of the spear. They're first in before standard uh, infantry. And, um, you know, they're not coming back asking for anything, right? They're, yeah. they're, it's, they, do it, they do it for the love of the work. That's why Bert would not like to be a, a SEAL, though. I think I like, get along with, like. Excuse me. I need a little bit of press about yeah. what I did. Oh, 
Yeah. What, oh, they can, don't. You can't get. You yeah, don't, they're you not don't supposed like, to. You don't like, like when, an award at Montreal. Yeah, he for doesn't it. like when he does GoFundMe and people don't go. Thank you for the yeah, donation. They're, they're not supposed to go. Press. You ever so, you ever given a GoFundMe? Mm. Do you, do they go remain anonymous or put your name up there on the board when I donate? Yeah. Uh, typically, I remain anonymous. Yeah. Okay. I told yeah. you. Then hey guys, for now on I'm just going anonymous and yeah, he's, that was me. He's upset that he made a nice generous donation and that the people didn't acknowledge him. Well, you know what's interesting? So I had Bob Sapolsky on the podcast, Robin <laughs> Sapolsky, and he knows a lot about testosterone and primate behavior. So in yeah. humans, they've done these experiments. You know, everyone thinks if you take exogenous testosterone that it makes you a jerk. But it turns out it just makes you I'm more, taking three a day. Yeah, no, it takes you more it just makes people more the way that they are. Wait, so, hold on. What is it? Yeah. Well, a lot of people think that testosterone makes people oh, uh, oh, yeah, aggressive. Testosterone. testosterone. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, you want that kids, gosh, kids are doing it so young now. Like, you, you can, there's a way to do it safely. Talk to a doctor or don't do it at all, you know, et cetera. Anyway, with that said, Sapolsky was telling me there's a study that shows that if you give people testosterone, in this case, men, you give them testosterone, and you do an auction. A philanthropic auction for a good cause. They, the guys who take more testosterone start competing to give more money. They become more altruistic. That's me. So basically they'll compete over anything. But if, you, if you're playing checkers, you'll become more competitive over checkers. And if they're a jerk, they become more of a jerk. And if they're funny, they become funnier. And, it, and so on and so forth. I bought so, four nuns a $7,500 trip to Cabo. So I was like, fuck, you're not going to beat me. I was like, and they're like, Alien's like, I don't want to go to Cabo. I go, Sister Donnie, you want to go to Cabo? She's like... I've never been. And I was like, you're going. We're fucking, I sent four nuns to Cabo and I gave them drink coupons for the fucking hotel because they take a vow of poverty. Yeah. I'll fucking get very nice. Throw money around. Speechless. <laughs> Incredible. This has been a, amazing. Amazing. I apologize. We've had you here this whole time. I said, hey, well, come in. I just wanted to introduce you to everyone. But this, I'm telling you, when I sat with you guys in the bus, did I not tell you? We're all sitting with greatness. I'm so glad to be a part of the hang, man. I learned a lot. I, man, I listen. Yeah. I, I, I do listen to him all the time. I mm. love your podcast. Thank you. And and when you were on Two Bears, I was so jealous. Oh, I, actually, my big get today was I, was I wanted us to all try nicotine. Because oh, yeah. he says nicotine is really good for your brain. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> it raises This is why I shouldn't paraphrase. No, 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 no. You gotta like. Uh, oh, so do you smoke cigarettes? No, no. don't do nicotine. Nicotine, hold on, it's really good for you. No, don't do nicotine. It staves off amnesia. Not amnesia. So nicotine can be a cognitive enhancer, but smoking, vaping, dipping, or snuffing, not good for you. The, uh, it is if it's cabbage. The the troches that or the you know the pouches that people take in older age can there is some data that can offset Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, but it does increase blood pressure and it increases vasoconstriction. So this is, uh, you know, you can scare all the guys by just saying vasoconstriction, not good for sexual performance, right? Yeah. This is the reason people take things like uh, Tadalafil, Cialis, or or Viagra for vasodilation. But nicotine, occasional use, occasional use of nicotine delivered through uh, something other than smoking or vaping, dipping or snuffing, which can give you cancer can be a cognitive enhancer. Um, I don't recommend people run out and, and embrace that right away. There are milder ways to increase uh, cholinergic drive in the brain for focus, things like alpha GPC, et cetera. But the main one is get the behavioral tools right. Learn how to focus, learn how to engage, learn how to put the phone off. Again today you know? of but nicotine, it's true. Later in life, I know a number of, I know a Nobel Prize winning neuroscientist who chooses Nicorette. He's in his late 70s in order to maintain cognitive function. So there's, a, there's something there. So yeah. maybe Try it next time you play piano. Let's see what happens. A little, a little, a little, a little zen. Maybe mm. a little Nicorette gum. Mm. Yeah. 
Maybe yeah. not before a concert. Just no, no. You when know, you, you next time you play by yourself, try it. I'm gonna try it on stage because Rogan swears by it. Really? Like, oh yeah, he'll hit a vape pen or smoke a cigarette before he goes on stage. He likes nicotine in his head before he goes on stage. I have not had nicotine in 20 years. I've not had it, and I had a problem with it. Okay, well, watch your blood pressure. I don't know what your blood pressure is, but as your Perfect. weight comes down, it's going to open up more opportunities for that. For Next time we talk, we should talk about um, the incredible data, again, not recreational use, of, um, I'll just say, data, clinical trials on macrodose psilocybin for helping people get over uh, out their d- craving for, for alcohol, but expand brain plasticity. Macrodose. Yes, macro, not So if not I show micro. you a mushroom bar, will you point me out how much a macrodose is? Yeah, I'm talking about a clinical trial, Bird. I'm not talking about recreational. I don't need to do it in a clinic. I'll okay. do it in my house. <laughs> okay. Do you like mushrooms? It's nice. Yeah, it's I nice. can give you a bar of mushrooms. Okay. Andrew, do you want some mushrooms? A clinical... Macrodose of, of, of psilocybin was transformative for my he- mental health. You yeah. did it? I did. You I've, did it? I've talked openly about the fact that in clinical trial, I've done macrodose psilocybin and I've done um, MDMA four times. Wait, macro is a lot. Macro is above four grams. Oh, okay. I'm not looking for macro. I'm looking for micro. Yeah, macro is the it is the best uh the data, not the best. Take Tom that out. Tom did it and got <laughs> chased by out. a wolf in the, the four the seasons. The data say that macrodosing psilocybin through a True. clinical trial can be an, it can have positive effects on, <clears throat> on relieving depression. So, yeah, anyway, I'm going to talk myself into right. a corner here. Look, this was great. Um, this is great. This is I new... wish we could do this. Oh, I, would, I would do this for another two hours, yeah. but. It's two bears, sure. one musician, one nerd, basically. <laughs> you're not a nerd. Oh, well, you're, you're, you're fucking, okay. you're, I'm being no. serious. I, I'm really, I'm really happy that like sometimes you'll run into people like yeah. our fans that'll be like, "Yo, I, I fucking stock groceries or whatever." I run it, you know, and and when I see a new episode every, every, you know, uh, on Monday, you got me up through lunch. Thank you so much, and well, that like, you. and but I'm saying this to you guys. That's so glad to know there are people like you that do what you do so differently than what we do, so that we can all kind of get to enjoy it. Because yeah. Andrew, I, I'm telling you, I, I. Live my life on your under under your the pillars you put out there because Thank I you. do with everything I do except for alcohol I always skip past that video because it's so boring, <laughs> but like, and Corey you are a true 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 talent, and uh, and and I'm being serious. It's so cool we got to have this because I went I found you looking for the thing to keep me young, and so and I and I feel like I I feel like I. This has been a great podcast. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks awesome. for having us on. Thank Delighted yeah, to meet you. you. Very nice to meet you. Gracias, primo. Por yes. And um, oh, he does it too. Well, his his uh, paternal grandmother and my maternal grandmother are second cousins. Right. Mm. Well, we, oh, I thought you were saying because you guys looked yeah. alike. No, Argentine prove it. No, we are like, we well, are actual cousins. Twenty, they, we did twenty three in me. They both look at the Wikipedia. Yeah, it's, they both like they haven't updated. You market. guys look alike except. Yeah. You look like Tom's wish mirror, where he's like, that's what I would be. <laughs> I want to be able to dunk a basketball. Was, I'd like uh, to be funny. Like, I'd like to learn how to be funny. They're both, they both Can comedy be learned? Yeah, mm, Tom. Really? I told taught Tom. Yeah, he, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he took me on the road. That's true. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You guys are the best. I'm a huge fan. It was fan. a lot of fun. All Thank right. you so much. Awesome, guys. See Thanks you guys. Me on. Bert and Tom. Tom and Bert. One goes topless while the other wears a shirt. Tom tells stories and Bert's the machine. There's not a chance in hell that they'll keep it clean. Here's what we call Two Bears, One Cave.